Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everybody and welcome along to a special programme on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels. I'm John Hyndorf and we're here to talk about Formula One, the FIA Formula One World Championship for 2021. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that it's not me talking about this, well at least not me alone. We have our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Hooray! It's the end of the season. Yes. Before we get to the end of the sta- yeah. season, though, we have to talk about the beginning of the season. Uh, there were supposed to be major rule changes this year. They got slid back for a year for various reasons, but that didn't mean there were no rule changes this year. And there were some significant changes, particularly aerodynamically. Well, yes. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing was that the... Yeah, as you say, because of the pandemic, we had the big change which was coming in next year postponed for a year. So the idea was the cars would be carryovers from the 2020 season. Um, after a kind of a, I don't know, a worry from Pirelli that the natural order of things would see more downforce produced by the cars um, and therefore more strain in the tyres. And we'd seen some failures, of course, in Silverstone in 2020. They decided, OK, what we'll do is we'll reduce the downforce. And that was done mainly at the rear of the car. There were some changes to the rear, to the floor, um, mostly behind the sort of halfway point of the car, there were some changes to the diffuser, a bit less uh, downforce there, and there were some some little nibbles to the the rear brake ducts. The effective thing was they were taking a lot of the downforce away from a lot of the downforce ability generating from the rear of the car. So that was the, that was the main one. That was one obviously which which initially piqued everyone's interest as we went through testing in, in Bahrain. Um, and, and that was done between seasons, effectively. Yeah, it was a kind of a thing that said, oh, let's... Uh, yeah, it's done early season. Everyone just kind of agreed to it relatively easily. I think people hadn't necessarily worked out what it was. <laughs> in fact, going into the season, no one really knew. It was a kind of like, oh, will, will it be better for the high-rate cars, be better for the low-rate cars? Obviously, we know how the story um, ended up. And, and in fairness to, to Red Bull, they had tested this new floor syndrome over in, the, in a couple of practice sessions to the back end of 2020. Um, the other changes were, you know, a little bit like the minimum weight went up by a few kilograms and they had um, Pirelli change their compounds a bit. And of course, Mercedes had their dual axle, axle steering band. The big one, which no one talks about, which finally came in, was the cost cap. This was the cost cap year, the first year of the 145 million. Though I think it ended up being a, a couple of million extra because of the sprint, the sprint, not the sprint race, the sprint. So it ended up being going under 147 million. So, you know, the bigger teams were reducing their budgets by 80, 90 million dollars. This is just the cars. Don't forget, it doesn't include your, your drivers, some of your marketing and your two or three highest paid employees. So it doesn't mean for Red Bull... It's not what they pay Adrian Newey, and it's not what um, Mercedes pay Toto, for example. But it's a, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a major reduction in spending for the big teams. And the smaller teams, of course, were either spending there or underneath. They didn't have to make many changes. But it, 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 
theoretically it would level the playing field. It wasn't going to work in this year because of the carrier of the cars. Effectively, the investment of the cars in 1920 and on that was going to say, OK, well, you're not going to see the benefits of it now. Though we did see some some payouts from it during the season as some of the bigger teams couldn't afford to spend money on, on or certainly whinged about the percentage of team money after accidents or, for example, be, um, Mercedes decided not to do a wet test um, on the new Pirelli tyres they felt that the way the, the money was offset just wasn't enough. So it did play in. Obviously, it's going to become more and more and more important as we go on. Uh, the uh, McLaren were given a dispensation to modify their car because they were switching engines, of course. Yeah, and that's a good point, John, because that, that meant that everyone had two tokens to spend. Two tokens. Um, and that, jetons, I'm sure it I said in the regulations. It was jetons. Uh, indeed, and they were, and, and effectively it enabled you to change two things outside these aerodynamic changes. So, for example, if you wanted to build a new, completely new gearbox, that would count as one. If you wanted to change the way the front suspension worked, that would be one. So, while some teams were quite open with their jetons, obviously um, McLaren works. They needed both of them to change the engine from the Honda, uh, not from Honda, from the Renault to the Mercedes. Um, so that was a bit, bit close to chess. I know that um, Red Bull spent their jetons at the rear of the car. Mercedes never told us where they spent theirs. Um, so, yeah, but it, it, they were used. You didn't have to use them both. You could use them during the season. So you could use one before the season, one during the season. Um, and I think we saw that with Ferrari. I think used one of theirs for a power, power upgrade. But, um, yeah, there was a kind of limited adjustment of the cars which were running in 20. Um, but obviously there was a major carrot apart from these, these floor changes, which... Ended up having, I think, a more significant effect than people thought they would do. Who won? Who lost in in those? Because before we even start about talking about, and we're doing, we're going to do this review in in the style of your team by team this year, which has been so popular. Um, but before we even get to that, we've we've got to analyse who came out of it was Barcelona, wasn't it? That we we had all the pre-season testing. Um, a favourite. Uh, sorry, Bahrain, yes. They went to Bahrain. And of course, there's limited testing because normally you've had six days. I think next year with the new regulation, you've got eight. Then you had three, which is a day and a half each. Um, it was very quickly obvious that the two cars running the low rake philosophy, which is Mercedes and Aston Martin, were suffering significantly more than the high, the high rake. Um, I think that was. And why was that? This was to do with this clipped rear end where they, where, where they took a lot away behind about the midpoint of the car from just in front of the rear wheels yeah basically it it took away a lot of the ability of the car to generate downforce at the rear so it unbalanced the car and, and obviously net downforce went and this affected the low rate cars which obviously have a a lower amount they can generate at the rear anyway because they yeah, they're not using the the basic um low pressure creation of the angle of attack of the car they did for the, for the other cars. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that actually Red Bull and some of the other cars didn't do a better job of, of adapting, but I think you actually took a very good low rake and a very good high rake, certainly the low rake lost more. And, you know, if you looked how at sea Mercedes and Aston Martin were coming out of those three days testing at, at Bahrain, I mean, I think we did the preview after we all caught well, Mercedes will sort it out. But, you know, it actually in the end took Mercedes probably until realistically certainly after the summer break to sort it out properly they didn't really get right on top of it till about um even possibly austin where they managed to to, to work out how to put the car to work perfectly with this reduced downforce reduced balance you know the, whereas the red bull hit the ground um literally running but no, no but there's no machiavellian element in that it's just no, one no. of those things it's just you know they, they and it, one of the elements in which red bull did it in way did a bad job because they carried on developing the car through 20 did some of the testing conceptual ideas 
for 21. So, you know, yeah, we, we, it's very easy to knock people, but they did, they did a very good job preparing. As did the FIA, the promoters, the tracks, because we ended up with 22 Grand Prix. And whilst it was a slightly different global atmosphere in mm -hmm. terms of travel, it was still not easy. Uh, and the COVID was still certainly uh, on everybody's uh, everybody's mind. Formula One and MotoGP for me were the absolute high watermarks of sports who continued through this crisis both in 2020 and 2021. And you can say what you like about how many Grand Prix we think should, there should be. 22 for me is probably seven or eight too many. But we did get 22 Grand Prix done and a season that looked relatively the way that it was expected to go. So, in fairness, pretty well done to Liberty and everybody involved. Yeah, I mean, they did the, yeah, given the prevailing situation, they did a fantastic job. They they obviously had Australia in the original um, run. They had China in the original run. Both of those went by the wayside. Australia in two stages got delayed, then cancelled. I think Turkey was on, off, and then back on again before it finally happened. So there's a bit of oscillation in there. And they were... Lucky is the wrong word. They did ride the crest of the the dropping in coronavirus, which enabled the swing through Brazil and Mexico to happen. That's that's you know sometimes you deserve a bit of luck um, because the problems were actually about the teams and the and the particular regular not necessarily the problems in the country themselves, but the problems the teams may have in in using personnel coming back to base in countries that weren't so happy with you having been in uh, Brazil and Mexico. I mean, twenty two races is a impressive outlet. They they, they obviously very heavily relied on. Europe and the Middle East, where they could either, you know, the Europe leg was easy for them to manage, and also the Middle East were very, very accommodating in how to run it, be a total bubble, be a partial bubble. Um, but they did get Austin, they did get Mexico, they did get Brazil away, which I think, if we're really honest, we never thought would happen. We didn't get Canada, um, because of when it was in the season, and we didn't get Australia, we didn't get China, but we didn't get Singapore again. Um, but realistically they managed to get a multi-continent championship away in a very difficult situation so and we got to see some great tracks come back you know we got to see turkey that's not going to happen portimao that's not going to happen again unfortunately Imola, that's not going to happen again i don't think so you know you kind of think is it you know sometimes you think well some of these tracks we've lost we gain better from it so you know you have to again you say that's right john you have to say well done to f uh, to to form and the teams for actually organizing a championship that that, that was worthy of the name now you mentioned the sprint oh, yes. in a world. In a world um, a lot of controversy yeah. about the sprint. Uh, for me, I'll I'll be honest with you. I, I I'm not I'm not someone who refuses to move <laughs> with the times. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, however, it seems a lot of hype, and I use that word advisedly, for three points for the winner, two points for second, and one point. For third, I'm not sure how hard people are going to try for those points. I accept that it sets the grid for the Grand Prix, and we can argue um, set the clock running now about whether that's a poll or whether the person who's fastest in qualifying is a poll. Um, answers on a postcard, please. At suspect attainment. No, they need to change that poll as the person fastest in qualifying. Yeah, well, I agree that I, I totally agree with that. You'll get no truck with me about that. Um, I think if we're going to do that sprint concept, I think three points is not enough. I think if, you know, and this is not because I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan. As everybody knows who listens to this, I'm, I, I, there's a very uh, 
small window of opportunity for any Formula One driver to excite me. Um, and <laughs> the bizarre thing is, I'm really mourning the loss of Kimi Räikkönen, who's you know, you? yes, of we course I am. No, I'm not. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, however, um, you know, when you drive from the back of the grid to you know a great finish in a sprint race, and only the top three get three, two, and one points. When in some championships you can get five points for an earned pole position, you know, I, I just wonder whether they've quite got the balance right. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, it's a very good point you make. What's the point of the sprint race? Points. Would be yeah. well, yeah, it's it, it, it's really interesting actually because the weird thing is though, if you look at the three sprint races we had, they're both inc- they're all incredibly significant. Not because they're a sprint race, just because it will happen around them. So let's take Silverstone. Um, we had an excellent first lap battle between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, where Lewis learnt the fact that he couldn't let Max get past him in the first lap or he'd be toast in the race. And what happened in the actual race? He didn't let him past. Uh, in Monza, um, Lewis made a mistake at the start, which set him up for not start. He dropped back, so he had to come through the field. That A, set up the victory for McLaren, but B, actually set up the accident between Verstappen and Hamilton, which was Verstappen's fault. So and in our third sprint race, well, without the sprint race, Lewis wouldn't have been able to come from 20th to 1st in the main race, but he managed to do half the work on Saturday and the second half the work on Sunday. Yeah, so true. by sheer luck... Um, Liberty managed to get three races which had significant, huge significance. And the gain of points on paper, which Max made, actually was more than rubbed out by the, point, the gain that Lewis made by being able to make that huge run through the field in Brazil. It doesn't change the fact that I think it shouldn't be there. And it doesn't change the fact that it certainly shouldn't decide who has the pole position tick on the, on the stats. And it is, as you say... And why is that? Because... For me, one of the purest things in motorsport is a beautifully driven qualifying lap where you stay between the lines, you don't hit the wall. Uh, you, it is the fastest, generally speaking, it's the fastest any car, whether it's Formula One, whether it's endurance race, particularly in endurance racing. But it is generally speaking the time when you see the driver and the car hopefully with a relatively clear lap, and I want to come on and discuss that for you, with you in a wee moment as well. And the car and the driver working in that perfect harmony. That, to me, is is a a pure form of racing. It's not racing, it's against the clock. It's a bit more like rallying, which I know you... Yes, I know you've pulled your face on that. But, But that, to me, is worthy of earning a poll. What, you know... Why aren't we getting points for a pole position earned? If you're going to give points for a pole position that's earned in a sprint, why aren't you getting points for a pole position that's earned in qualifying? Well, again, that that like, you know raises another point of the the weirdness of the whole situation. You don't need points in F1 for being on pole because being on pole is a massive advantage on its own. It's not like you you know you could actually argue in MotoGP where pole doesn't mean really anything. You should get a point for getting on pole. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm completely in agreement. It's, 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 it shouldn't you shouldn't get the points for the sprint. You shouldn't get the pole position tick for the for the, for the sprint race. It makes no sense. But however, we've we've you know just to argue against myself, you know, we've had this issue before. Lewis um, and a couple of other, I think Valtteri as well, both got poles which were taken away from them because they took engine penalties. Now, is that right? Is that wrong? 
there was a whole period of F1 where they were qualifying with their starting fuel, where it wasn't a level playing field for who got mm. pole because you went in like, I mean, Yano truly got a couple of, I remember, you Yano, but he got a couple of poles there because he was running a bit lighter. So it's not always been as pure as we think, but I don't think we need to, you know, muck it about as much as it has been. I mean, I, I, yeah, the sprint race is probably going to get six of them next year. They are PR concepts. They are designed, oh, people can't concentrate for more than seven minutes, which I think actually it's this season true. has probably proven isn't right because we managed to get a fallout that's, what, 10 days now, nearly two weeks going on. People are concentrating on very heavily on that. Um, you know, I don't think... I, I don't, to me, if you're going to do something on Saturday that's different, do something different. Do something that doesn't count or something. Just do something. Else. I don't know. Do a reverse grid race that's only constructors points. Something like that. But don't faff, don't faff about with the drivers' championship. Hmm. I'm thinking very hard with that. <laughs> you're listening to our review of the Formula One World Championship season. It's Nick Damon, our F1 correspondent, and me, John Hindorf. It's a midweek motorsport special, and in order to really get the atmosphere of the season we have come to the uae yes, to do is. to do this program uh, it has to be said uh, in in fairness we are I, in I, I would the UAE. like to point out this morning i drove past the yasmarina Yaz circuit so there we are so just 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 make sure i was completely up to date with what's going no. on excellent excellent stuff uh, before we leave qualifying um in particular and and get onto your team by team for 2021 we are surely now, Nick, in the situation where I like the current qualifying, Q1, Q2, Q3. But surely in Q3, we might as well do single car qualifying now because it is getting absolutely ridiculous with people. This is a lot of clever people all using similar software who come up with the same idea of what time you've got to go out for your final run. It is absolutely bonkers. What we should be doing, surely, when you get to the top 10 shootout, then... You either reverse the top 10 or you go 10 down to 1. I don't really care, but everybody should get a clear track and then we can see what people can do. No, I don't agree. I think, I think they, they fiddled about... They, they fell on this, this concept of three-phase elimination. I think it works brilliantly. I think it's one of the few things it's very hard to argue about that F1's got absolutely right over the last 12, many years now, 15 years. They tried changing it seven or eight years ago it was a disaster no I, I don't agree I think there are problems and the problems to be honest John tend to manifest themselves a little bit more in Q1 and Q2 when there's 20 cars trying to get around or 15 cars trying to get around you have 12 minutes to do two runs outside of Spa um, and actually not, not no, actually the other run the, the track in Saudi is quite quick so outside of Spa really you can do that and you can go out a bit earlier you can go out a bit later it's down to you where you choose to go out if your computer says you're going to go out and traffic well you need to talk to a computer do we need then to just make a couple of tweaks and i placed before the court and quite a lot of people listening to this perhaps don't understand how it works in mortal gp in mortal gp effectively every session counts and what happens when you do free practice one two and three is all those times are just sitting there and then you split off the bottom part of the field and they go first to then try and qualify through into the next part of qualifying, which means that every session counts. Well, yeah, I know what you're saying, John, but given the, sh- the other thing we didn't mention, of course, because one of the things that happened this year was practice was shortened down to two to one-hour sessions. Every session counts anyway. You've only got two hours of running. You're, you need to go through your programs, or well, three hours with the um, 
session on Saturday morning, which is less important. Um, and actually completely unimportant entirely with the sprint race. I mean, what's the point of that? Um, no, I think I don't, I don't think we need to. I, think, I, I, I am, you know, I'm not some terrible naysayer, never change anything, even though it sounds like it's his first few minutes this show. But I think qualifying works really, really well. Um, you know, and I genuinely... So how do you get rid of this nonsense of people stacking up, sometimes getting in the way? We saw far too many big intake of breath moments yeah. this year where but for the cat like cats on energy drink like mm-hmm. reflexes of drivers we could have had really serious accidents yeah but the answer is the answer to many of the problems we talk about during the course of this conversation is the FIA it's not it's not it's not managed properly you turn around and say you've got to do x y and z drivers and team don't do x y and z and nothing happens mm. you know if you say you can't slow down and do this, and they slow down and do this, well, you can't let them off. I'm not particularly keen to see the entire grid going up to the, the stewards' room, but you do it once and they'll learn. It's happened in other forms, other world championships. Look at how many times we've seen, I think in, in one of them, uh, it was either a Moto2 or a Moto3 race, if it wasn't this year, it was last year, I think there was 13 people starting from the pit lane. That's it. You know, it, it doesn't take a lot. I, mean, I know it, oh, we go muck about with the championship. But if you, the point is, you've made the mistake. You've made the mistake. It doesn't seem to be on the wit of man that you, you know, the, the, the problem is, I think, not only is the problem with the queuing up, the problem is if we, we've talked about it two seconds ago, if you try and be slightly intelligent and go early, you end up hitting the back of the queue. Um, and, and it's, you know, there is an issue. You've got 20 guys. If you've got 20 cars, let's say 20 cars want to get a lap in, they want to have five seconds of separation. You're looking at 95 seconds to get from the front to the back of the grid. That's a minute and a half. Most races, most traps are way shorter than a minute and a half at race speed. So there needs to be some conversations. Now, I know, do you end up just doing a, you know, Q1 in two parts? I don't know. But the point about it is, is that it can be fixed, but it has to be fixed by a combination of the teams, the drivers and the, and the organisers. The other thing I would throw into this is something that I think IndyCar have got right. They move the timing line for qualifying so that the timing line is before the pit entry. So you finish your fast lap and then you can dive straight in to the pit lane and then you're not in the way of anybody coming around on a fast lap. No, I'm sure the teams would actually be all all in favour of that because it would mean, especially in Q2, you're taking one lap less than your tyres. And also... It avoids the problem that happens occasionally where you accidentally impede someone and suddenly end up with a three-place penalty and you didn't mean to do it. None of this impeding is ever, is never deliberate. It's always a, a mistake of communication with someone. It's almost always because the driver hasn't been told from the team rather than the driver going, oh, I'm going to block across yes, I'm here. I'm blocking Trevor completely. But, yes. the, the, but then you look no, at Trevor it, deserves blocking Frank. You look at it, there is an issue with that. And you, you look at the way F1 pit lanes are run. You think about, let me give you two examples. You think about Silverstone. The entry to Silverstone is just outside. It's, it's way before Vale. Mm-hmm. You know, where are you going to move the timing loop to? Just coming out of the store. But, yeah, but then again, you've got another thing. You, you know, uh, actually, no. End of, the, end of the hunger strip before your breakfast, though. That's that's your timing line. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's a big conceptual change. Obviously, it doesn't make a blind bit of difference where you are on the lap to do a lap. It's a lap, it's a lap, it's a lap. Um, slightly different with tyre warm up, but yeah. I mean, I can see. I, I think it's a good idea, but I can see. I'm also on my other side. I can see some technical issues with it. Certainly, on the short circuits, you know, it's more difficult. Uh, and the timing partners just need to get themselves oh, sorted out. All right. Um, 
there are so many other issues that we need to talk to, but I think I think we need to just let's just go into team by team mode here, mm-hmm. and therefore we'll start at the back as we always do, and the team that was at the back of the constructors championship, the back of the race as it were for the twenty one uh, events this year was Haas Ferrari. Uh, their best finish was a fourteenth in Azerbaijan. I'm just scanning through here. Yes, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, retirements. Um, well, I said, way, I said there's way more than that. Only seven. Okay, keep going. Yeah, well, that's that's what it says here. However, they finished up with zero points. Has Ferrari, and let's talk about Has first of all, because all kinds of rumours in the season about whether we're going to be sold, whether they weren't going to be sold. Their two drivers, uh, Nikita Mazepin and uh, Mike, uh, Mick Schumacher, um, in in the car, um, they just didn't seem to move on as a team, and they didn't. Neither of the drivers actually seemed to move on as as drivers. Okay, I agree the first part. I don't agree the second part. Um, the thing about Haas was they were already rubbish um, last year. And then they didn't develop their car for this year. So all they did was do the thing to make it legal. So they filled in some holes at the back, did no development, and said, we're writing off this year. They're a weird... Haas is a very weird organisation. The all-American team with Russian Federation money. That's not going to sit well with anybody. Can't say Russian. With money from the country to the east of Poland. No way to Belarus, sorry, if my geography get right. But, you know, it's it's a weird situation. Um... Nikita's father, name I've completely lost here, Mr. Mazepin, what's his name? What's Mazepin? I don't know. Um, effectively bankrolled the whole team, both cars. Mick Schumacher came in with some money from Ferrari as part of the Ferrari Juniors. Um, and from day one, they said, we're not, we're not bothering with the car, we're not developing the car. And, this is the, and they were not developing a car that was already the slowest car. Dimitri. Dimitri, thank you very much. So they effectively were going to tread water. Now, the, the other issue was... They had two rookies, and because they hadn't developed the car, it was a tricky car. It was difficult. Now, Nikita Mazepin, like him or love him and loathe him, had a lot of spins, but that wasn't because he was rubbish. That was because the car was really difficult. Uh, saw this a few years with with Williams, didn't we? When Williams was not particularly aerodynamically fabulous or stable, and, you know, drivers can easily be written off. But... The gap between those two during the year was. Do I think Mazepin's the best driver on the, on the on the grid? No, absolutely. But but given how Mick Schumacher was vaunted, it's not like he blew him away, was it? The problem was the only time you could really directly compare them because the car was so rubbish in the race and so so many things. That, well, there's two points. Mick Schumacher, on the whole, was the better qualifier, and it could be by as much as three quarters of a second. Now, three quarters of a second with a rubbish car is the same as three quarters of a second with a good car. In fact, in some ways, it might be even more because they're tricky. So Mick was much better there. In the race, Mick appeared to nearly get kind of gain on Nikita, especially after the first tyre stop. So when they went off the softer tyre and the harder tyre, it was often the case that Mick would move away. Now, I think on pure... Accident. I think Mick actually t- had more problems, certainly more problems that were more visible. I mean, it wasn't his fault in the last race. It was um, Latifi who fell off after going past him. But, you know, 
Mazepin seemed to get more televisual crashes, but actually at the end of the day, Mick lost the car as many times as well. I mean, quite spectacularly in um, in Imola, where he just punted the ball for no discernible reason. But this is an element where it's very hard to say, are these guys, inverted commas, rubbish? And let me make this point again. No one in F1 is rubbish. They're all brilliant. It's just levels of brilliance. Is the car tricky? Are they rookies? And the answer is, they're not brilliant. They're okay. Yes, the car's tricky. Yes, they're rookies. Mazepin, I think, had an abrasive character that hasn't worked for him with the press, with social media, with the team, which is a problem. However, he is bankrolling the, the, the car, so he's fine. Mick's got a huge amount of goodwill because of his dad. Did a reasonable job. And the thing about Mick is he's always done learning year, get better. So you kind of think he will perhaps be great next year. It's totally impossible to say anything apart from the fact that Mick Schumacher is slightly faster than Nikita Mazepin, which we already knew. But where they are relative to anything else, and anybody who says to you, Mick's great, Nikita's rubbish, you can't we say can't that. Tell. You don't know. And, and I think that, that Haas has served them badly, apart from the fact they had a chance to very expensively learn 22 circuits. Uh, uh, Mazepin, his best was a 14th, the best for, uh, for Schumacher was a 12th. Schumacher, three retirements, one, two, three, four, five, six for Mazepin, and they finished 19th and 21st in the championship by the vagaries of how things worked. Robert Kubica, um, with only two finishes, finished between them, which I don't kind of understand. Yeah, that's, that's fine, because he, he subbed for Kimi Raikkonen and Kimi had um, Corona, and uh, he got a better individual race result than Nikita Mazepin. So as people have rather joked that Nikita Mazepin finished 21st in a 20-car field, but uh, it wasn't quite that way. I mean, I think I think Mazepin is, is very limited, and I don't think that he is the sort of... Per- yeah, he got promoted from F2 when there were three other people who were better than him, and now there's probably seven other people that are better than him. But, you know, it comes down to the fact sometimes having a large... And this is not new. Having a large amount of money and getting to F1 has happened since 1948. It's not new. You know, and, and at some point in the past, it was you were looking at the bottom seven or eight were paying to be there, not just two or three guys. Did it help that, or hinder Haas that they Obviously, they've got Ferrari. We know the issues that Ferrari had after um, they were found with their engine irregularities and they were trying to... Claw back Pardon? some of that. What word do you want to use then? Engine outside the regulations. I think the word begins with C, then has eating after it. Um, did it help or hinder them that there was some discussion about whether they were going to be bought? They clearly, you know, they as you said, they abandoned any opportunity to to develop the car this year. Does that mean they're looking to next year, or does that mean they're looking to be bought? Um, Gene Haas is not a, is, is perhaps underestimated the challenge of F1, but he's not an idiot. That guy knows what he's doing. He's a very experienced businessman. As we have discussed on Midweek Motorsport on several occasions, only an F1 team is no longer a millstone round your neck. It is actually a cash cow. And possibly, if... if the, by the way, well done to Liberty for that. No, no, because no. That, that is a... It, it was not long ago when we were talking in exactly those terms mm-hmm. that, you know, you could walk away from Formula One, it would be worth nothing. That is not the case now. And whatever else anybody thinks of, of Liberty and whatever else anybody else thinks we think of Liberty, that's a massive turnaround. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the franchising and the cost cap have made, suddenly made it possible to value what an effort team's worth. Now, 
if Dmitry Mazepin had turned up at the beginning of 2020 and offered Haas X million dollars, I'm pretty sure that Gene would have taken it. He turns up under 2021 offering X million dollars and Gene's going, oh, I'm not so sure. I think we'll just give it a bit of a drift and we'll let him pay for the, the sponsorship and everything else. Starting in 2022, there's no way you're going to sell the team for less than... And Andretti's been interested as well, of course. Yeah, than, than less than, you know, four or five hundred million dollars. You know, and that's a team that was, as you point out, John, was probably worth 20 million in the debts written off you know, two years ago, because once you know how, because the problem with F1 always was no one had any idea how much they had to spend, no one had any idea how much they were going to get back, no one had any idea how they were going to make it work. And now it's pretty obvious. The most you can spend is $147 million plus or minus a few few quid. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's nothing, but it is It is so much less than it was. And you theoretically, with the right people around you, you can be competitive for that money, whereas before you couldn't. So... Suddenly, there is a value, and they have put in the um, t- the Liberty have put in the franchise dilution fee of two hundred million dollars, um, which means anybody who comes in has to pay every one of the existing teams twenty million bucks um, to be allowed onto the franchise, which then obviously means it, and you end up thinking, well, I may as well buy another team, and therefore your starting price is two hundred million before you add anything else in the value. So. You know, it's 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 Liberty have done a great job for the people who stuck with them and and those ten teams. It's a pity, the only pity I would say, and this is purely on the sporting level, that when this finally happened, we only had ten teams. Yeah. Because yeah. if we had twelve teams, it'd be fantastic. A, the teams would be worth more money, and we'd have four more drivers in the field. And you know, I'm not sure we would, we would discuss it much. You know, this particular event, but there are several guys who should be on the field who can't get in. And people go, oh, there's pay drivers. Well, there's always been pay drivers. But if there were four more slots, you'd have guys who could get in, the younger guys on the whole. Let's move on to the next team then in Nick Dearman's team-by-team team for the Formula One World Championship for 2021, a midweek motorsport special here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. We move to Alfa Romeo Racing Ferrari to give them their full title. Three drivers there, Robert Kubica as... Nick said, subbed for Kimi when he had a couple of races off in the middle of the year, having tested positive for for COVID. Uh, Tonio Giovinazzi Giovinazzi, uh, scored three points, and Kimi Raikkonen scored more than three times that, with ten. They finished with 13 points, uh, one off the bottom. As we know, both of those drivers are moving on. Kimi to go and drive far fewer races in endurance racing probably um, and Gio to go and do some Formula E uh, racing um, and that's a big name that, that's two big names Alfa Romeo racing Ferrari that's two big names to only have 13 points at the bottom Nee Sauber Sauber's still involved of course they cannot think that that was that that was a good season no, I mean, it, and it is Sauber. It's Sauber Ferrari. The Alfa Mayor is a title sponsorship deal. It's not. Um, and, and fair, it's well done to him for retaining it because we all thought it was going to get lost. Um, yeah, I mean, I read a, I read a very, very good article on, on the race about how they, Alfa Mayor became the masters of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. They effectively found new and exciting ways of not scoring points when they should have done. And then the weeks when they had good weeks, it was, unfortunately, it was a time when everyone else was having a good week and they ended up finishing 11th or 12th. 
the, the best races were two eighth places for Kimi. He got a ninth, a tenth, and a tenth, a tenth. Um, and, uh, well, he must have had some point scoring by the other drivers, wasn't he? But, uh, so, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't think, a banner season. I think, uh, but you go back to it, and I think you look at the choice of drivers for this season. Giovinazzi had two particularly uninspiring seasons prior to this. In fairness to Antonio, this was his best year. Agreed. It wasn't particularly inspiring, but it was his best year. And he had two or three moments of, of really quite impressive behaviour, mostly in qualifying, which then, for various reasons, often bad luck, meant that by the end of the first lap of the race, it all gone to naught. Raikkonen, and I know I am completely out with of the entire F1 community, which seems to think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, can't say that I've ever been more pleased to see the back of someone who's been wasting a seat for three years. Um, don't see the point of it. Don't understand the culture of Kimmy. I mean, perhaps I should stop talking here before I alienate the entire listening audience. Just because you could be bolshy on the radio doesn't make you worthwhile of an F1 seat. You know, I don't, I've never got this. Never got this, oh, he's so amazing, he's so independent. He's just a pain in the backside. You know, he got, he got sacked off of F1 in 2009 because no one could stand him. All right, he came back and had a couple of good years. Then managed to get six more years of employment. Well, well done. I mean, fantastic. Well done, Kimmy. You got yourself employed for six years and paid a large amount of money. But you're basically phoning in for four of those. Anyway, that's me about Kimmy Raikkonen. Um, Giovinazzi, you know, did what he could do. Can't, I don't think he was a little bit salty when he got fired. Not fired, but he didn't get retained. Don't think he readers. I don't think. I think he had enough time to prove what he. You know, no one's saying you've got to finish third. You've just got to convince me to beat the bloke who's phoning it in. But, but how good or bad was the car? Because again, you know, can we only say that you know, um, in the bottom four drivers, they're all with Ferrari engines, and. You know, the bottom two teams are both Ferrari-powered teams. How much of that is the car? How much of that is the driver? Um, no, I think it's it's a lack of maximising opportunity. The Alpha wasn't a bad car. The Alpha, if you go across 22 races, the Alpha was a better car than the Williams. Country mile, better car than the Williams. Um, didn't have the peaks, and the peaks didn't match the chances. Williams had... We'll come on to it, but the way Williams maximised the point scoring is the complete inverse of how Alfa Romeo managed to minimise their point scoring. I don't think if we ran the 22 races again, Alfa Romeo would find a way of scoring so few points again. It was, you know, they hit each other, they got things wrong, like Hungary, which was a perfect chance to score points. You know, Giovinazzi sped in the pit lane and Kimi Rugg had an unsafe release. You know, it's like, come on, guys. Finished 10th and 13th in that race when they should have been far further up. When you're in a team that's, you know, towards the back end, and you know, you have to take your chances when the big teams muck up. And that was a great example. Four or five of the top cars were out in the first corner. One of the cars was hobbled. You know, you're sitting there going, right, okay, realistically, there's now a 14-car field, two of which were Hasses. Okay, it's a 12-car field. We should get, oh, no, we haven't got any points. We've got one point. That's just, no, that's the problem. It's not maximising opportunities. Robert Kubica jumped in, didn't do a bad job, finished just outside the points twice. And, you know, I'll put my hand up. I said he would never come back to Formula One after the injuries that he sustained in that rally accident. He has. He absolutely is not a tugger, and I never said he would be. He's been brilliant for WRT and endurance racing this year and won championships with them. Um, But is that as... I mean, I think that's as... 
that's as good as that car is if everybody's running just outside the top 10. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously he had the, the difficult season with Williams where we were the Heinz and nothing because the car was dreadful. I mean, he did get out for by George, but George is special and he's injured. Um, he's done two more years on the back of a, a Polish sponsorship deal with, with FP1s. And, you know, it, 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 is, it is true. I mean, Roberts is... A fabulous driver who was very, very unlucky in a, in a bit of... Uh, yeah, you can't do anything but feel sorry for him. He's managed to get back to the top level of sports car racing. And I think his, it's pretty obvious that his injury is not as affecting in a sports car environment as in F1. Now, it could be because the competition is lower. It could be just where the cars run. But the problems he has doesn't affect him as much, you know. And I think he has a very, very positive career over the next few years. But yeah, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to be one of your pros in a P2 car? It's great. And he's got the experience. He's got the setup experience. Very intelligent guy. It's it's kind of a combination of a happy end to a bad situation and also kind of a bit disappointing because the guy really was fantastic. Possible world championship material, I reckon, yeah, yeah. to be absolutely, absolutely honest. Yeah. Let's move on to eighth in the championship. The next, we've had two Ferrari engine cars. We're going to have two Mercedes engine teams uh, in the next two. We'll move to eighth, Williams Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Uh, their best result was the race that shouldn't have been at Spa. Um, and that deserves a bit of, of chat um, before we go there. So a perfect opportunity here. Um, for me, you got on your soapbox with Kimi Raikkonen. I'm going to get on my soapbox here first of a few times this year about inconsistencies. Uh, you mentioned how bad the FIA have been this year and particularly with regard to Formula One. Spa to me, um, until the end of the season, was the was the absolute <laughs> nadir of what I thought we'd ever see in Formula One. It was a... And, and everybody's forgotten it, of course, since... Since Abu Dhabi, it, it's you know it, it 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 was the ultimate, the ultimate cynical ploy, so that you didn't have to give people money back. Yeah. They ran the fewest number of ra- of race laps that they had to do to have a declared a race. Um, it should it should not have run. It's as simple as that. If it's not good enough to run, don't run it. The, I, I mean. The irony, and nobody could have known this, was about an hour, 70 minutes later, you could have run something approximating a race. They didn't want to do that. The television, et cetera, et cetera. And I understand that. Come on, we work in broadcasting. I absolutely understand that. But either run it or don't run it. It was, it was a nightmare of unbelievable proportions until... and. And it just, for me, summed up a really bad year for everybody in race control and race direction. Now, look, I, I, it's not a job I would want to do, and I hate second-guessing people, but this year was poor, and that... And I have no idea where the... So I'll put my hand up now, see? I have no idea where the pressure was coming from, whether it was coming from Liberty, who was standing over the shoulder of the race director. We may say those words again later as well. Um, And why that decision was made to do what they did at Spa. But it was a disgrace. It it, It was a disgrace to the sport and it did not play out very well. I just don't understand it. And I don't think anybody else did. 
Yeah, the only plus point was in the end, those extra five points that Max had over Lewis didn't make a blind bit of difference to the championship, thankfully. Maybe they managed to make that, managed to add a second mistake to, mistake? I'm going to say cock up to uh, to do that. No, he should never, I, mean, I, I can't disagree with you, he should never have run. Um, this is the problem you've got. When, yeah, I, the, 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 this is the issue. You have a sporting championship, you have a commercial rights holder. Hmm. And okay. realistically, the commercial rights holder should have absolutely nothing to do with the sporting championship. That's not what's happening. We all can see that. Giving back people's money should not be the reason to run a sham, which is what it was. And this is again, again, there's, no, there's nothing, nothing against Max or Lewis or George or anyone because they just drove around like they were told to out the pit lane. It's absolutely a liberty and FIA situation, and it's and and the mealy mouth. And again, it's the mealy mouth explanations that come out afterwards. You just get the non-explanation. Actually, you just get the go to everyone. We all know it's going. If you came out and said. On Monday, we're really sorry. We had to run the race. We didn't want to give the money back. We we'll go, all right, that's fair. You've been honest. But they Might not out. agree with you, yeah. but... Yeah. But they come out with some rubbish. And you go, no, you did that because you wanted not to put the money back. And you should have called the race. And you can't run it on Monday because you've back to back the whole season. You've got too many races on it. And, you know, it, it, it's... It's not a great situation for anybody, and they just—it's not a good look, is it? Well, also, it's not great. I feel really sorry for the guys, the Belgian fans, and 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 the people there, and the people. Luckily, I was working that weekend, so I didn't have to sit through the four hours of nothing. Um, you go, this is just not fair for anybody, and and, it, and yeah, luckily it didn't take that particular incident didn't take a championship, but it is indicative of an absolute abhorrent year that race control has had. I think that the sport is hard, um, in fairness. Uh, that was the high point. of uh, It was the low point uh, to that point of the season. Um, but for the, the guys at Williams, it was their high point. Their next best result was, I'm scanning through, I think an eighth. Yeah, an eighth. Uh, they, they ended up on 23 points, two, three, uh, four, five, six, seven retirements between the two cars. Um, all right, I know it's not the Williams family that run it, the, the loss of Frank Williams towards the end of the season, the death of Frank Williams towards the end of the season, made it not exactly a banner year for Williams' Mercedes. Um, but again, eighth in the championship, 23 points only. Next up, when we'll talk about Aston Martin, who by their their standards will have had an awful season, and yet... They're on 77 points. That was an awful season for Williams again. Well, yeah, and no. Um, if you think <laughs> about it, the 2019 car, which was the bigger, you know, was a bigger dog than you'll find in Battersea. Um, they updated that slightly in 20, and it was, you know, they, they, all they managed to do from 20 is catch the back of the field. This car was genuinely competitive at certain races, um, certainly in the hand of George and certainly on a Saturday on George Russell. In other races, it was absolutely awful, but they said that's what they were aiming for at the start of the season. They wanted to, what, to be awful? To be awful at some races, but great at others. They didn't want a car that was going to be average. They wanted to kind of a car that was going to work at some places and not at others, and they, and they achieved that. They had an excellent run during the middle of the season. They, they maximised the, the situation with um, some of the bad races for other people. They managed to score a hat full of points. They faded appallingly during the back end of the season when everyone got their act together. Um, but... The, by the scored no points after Russia, yeah. actually. They yeah. scored a single point in Russia and then never got inside. Oh, no, sorry, I tell a lie. 
Um, they scored a point in cut. Uh, no, no, that's not them. No, they scored no points after Russia. Yeah, I mean, it's, they didn't score me at the start. They scored it nicely in the middle, enough to get eighth place, which is all the cash and everything else you could ever want. I think if you'd said to them eighth with this number of points and a really weird podium, they'd have bitten your arm off at the beginning of the season. You know, really? yeah, of course, because they, because they were they were running forward with a car that was rubbish you, they, again they, there isn't much development you can do the car's no good this was a peaky car it didn't work particularly well in crosswinds um, you know, Nick Latifi is a pay driver and 7 points for him and 16 for George and they were 17th and 15th in the championship yeah I mean Nick Latifi has been retained he's fine yeah, he's, he's perfectly fine he's not going to do anything but he's reliable apart from the five laps in the end in Abu Dhabi. Um, and George put in a good first two-thirds season. He's never going to need to buy Red Bull again, though, is he? No, that's true. Nicholas is fine there. And George, you know, is, is, is theoretically the next great white... Great, I can't say that because someone got ri- absolutely ripped for saying great white hope, I mean, even, though it's a, even though it's actually just a phrase and not meant to imply anything. He's the next great hope um, going into Mercedes. Um a little bit of a sad end of the season. I don't know whether it was him or the car, but he carried on qualifying reasonably well, got out qualified by Nicholas finally. And he did the job. In the middle of the season, he did the job. He got the points they needed. He got them up to eighth in the Constructor Championship. He got all the cash, which is great. And, he's got, and he got the Mercedes drive. So it worked quite well. And, and, and they, you know, Mercedes, so Williams were carried on being you know, quite frugal. They didn't develop a, a mule car for the new 18-inch tyres. So they've... And they, and they, they, I'm sure, want to be judged next year. Um, my feeling is they're going to be still towards the back, but you know, stranger things have happened, and they feel they've they've put the infrastructure in, they've spent as little money as possible, gaining what they've gained, and they're going to try and push forward from there. And I'm absolutely certain they're very happy with the year. Seventh position, another Mercedes engine, as we mentioned, uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, and uh, Aston. Martin Mercedes, um, I say Sebastian Vettel because, of course, he is the lead driver. Lance Stroll, the Canadian, another Canadian there, another Canadian peer driver um, who uh, finished 13th in the championship. Vettel uh, in 12th, 34 and 43 points for, for those two, 77 points on the season. Kind of touched on it earlier, Nick, but the, the low rate cars... Uh, didn't benefit, shall we say, from the change in the aero regs. And it just seemed as though the guys at Silverstone for Aston Martin Mercedes just never got their head around it. That never looked a happy car. Seldom looked uh, a happy car. What did they get? A bet of a fifth in the race that shouldn't have been at Belgium. They had a fifth at Monza. Um Vettel at times still showed. I actually thought Vettel, for me, um, I was quite impressed by Vettel this year in his his driving and in what he did outside of the car. It was a horrible year. He still found ways to motivate himself. He was sixth in Qatar, um, and he's, you know, he and Lewis out of the car were clearly the two people during the year who were setting examples. For in a variety of 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 issue uh, issues based uh, situations, and and I applaud them both for that. But they just didn't get their heads around the car, did they? 
Well, no, I mean, it's, you know, they, they effectively are driving a 2019 Mercedes, um, with Mercedes driving a 2020 Mercedes, which were then adapted for the new rules, and then though Rake didn't sort, suit it, you know, Mercedes worked exceptionally hard and, and effectively got on the, got, you know, on top of it in the end and worked out ways of getting around it, and Aston Martin didn't. Now, perhaps, is that because they didn't have the money? Is that because they didn't have the inclination? Is that because when you're copying something, you don't know how to sort out it when it doesn't work? I don't think I'm going to answer that question. I think it's probably a combination of all three. I think, like many of the teams in the middle of the field, they thought, well, there's no point throwing good money after bad. We'll just um, uh, look at developing the 2022 car, which is completely different. Um, Seb was okay. I think, you know, if, if you had a kind of an ex- expectation from him with some people who's going to bounce back from his terrible year at Ferrari, other people who's going to disappear down the plug hole, and he was kind of halfway house, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think his off-track activities were very much positive influence. I think he's he's moving it again into the elder statesman element, which which Lewis is also there. The kind of the maturity and the ability to see outside of the, the bubble is, is very impressive. Um, and it's quite nice they both go about it different ways. They're complementary mm, to each other. Good point. Um, good point. I think he fully deserved the drive. Sebastian, I think people are going, oh, you should have given it something, we should never have sacked Sergio. I think he fully deserves the drive. I think the test will come next year when the car's better. Um, it's another free year for Seb. He's had a couple of free years, hasn't <laughs> yes. he, when people Many didn't expect years. very much of him. So it was a bit of a gimme this year. But I, honestly, I, I I did like, I think, that, was it this year when they forgot about him at, at Barcelona and he kept, he was no, on the, that, that, that was that, that last year. No, that was Ferrari, was it? Okay. But I, I just, I just like the way he was, you know, he was going about his racing. And there's, there's elements about Vettel down through the years that have really annoyed me. But much like, you know, you and Kimmy. Um, but there was something that I warmed to Sebastian this year. No, I agree. I think, I think you, there is a very much a change of him in the last two or three years. I don't know whether he's kind of decided I'm not going to win the World Championship anymore and, and, and he's decided to focus a little bit more on... He's always been a very witty guy. He's been a very mm. pleasant guy, but he's, but he's been a bit of a... more difficult to love on the track, you know, than ask Mark Webber. Um, I think he's become a little bit easier to like on and off the track and I, and I think he's you know he's still showing occasional flashes I think he's perhaps you know holding himself back sitting the cars but and I, and I, if they develop a good car next year I expect to see him doing reasonably well I mean I don't think he's you know I, I think he still has it in him he um, I think he does unfortunately still have the random mistake in him as well you know, yeah. example you know Zanvoort where he spun it when no one else did and, and earlier in the season when he made a couple of mistakes but towards the end he was looking pretty good so, what about Lance Stroll? Then? It's a really good question because Lance Stroll had an incredibly anonymous season. I think, yeah, if you go through the entire field, I reckon Lance Stroll is the most anonymous of all. Even you know, Mazapan, who's the, apparently the worst, was all over the headlines. You know, two tenths and an eighth. Yeah, and. Yeah, I don't know. Lance is not. Lance is is by far the best of the three pay drivers, um, and he's theoretically quite good. He's one of these drivers who needs his head looking at. Um, but really, he didn't produce anything particularly good. On the flip side, he didn't produce anything particularly bad. And then he was hamstrung by a car that wasn't really working. I don't know. It's really weird. It's, what what is my opinion of Lance Stroll? You may ask me, John, and I'd have to tell you. No idea. No idea. Give him another year. I mean, he's going to get as many years as he likes as daddy owns the team. But, eh, fine. 
I think he kind of did what he could do. You know, if you see him as a number two to Fettel, he was absolutely fine. But nothing good either. So it's fine and poor. Excellent. Good stuff. That's why I paid the big bucks. That's, that's why he's paid the big bucks. Uh, you're listening to Nick's Team by Team on the 2021 Formula One World Championship. It's a midweek motorsport special here on the RSL uh, Network. All right, let's uh, move up to sixth position. First uh, of the two Honda teams, AlphaTauri Honda, mm-hmm. with nearly twice the amount of points of Aston Martin Mercedes, which I think at the start of the season, um, they probably would have taken. AlphaTauri, uh, the second of the Red Bull teams, of course, uh, and their two drivers, as far as the, the championship uh, is, is concerned, we had uh, Yuki Tsunoda, uh, scoring 32 points, so just a couple of points behind Lance Stroll uh, and Pierre Gasly, um, one of the real favourites of the Formula One press and uh, the motorsport press, finished in ninth position with 110 points. Let's talk about Alpha Tauri Honda to start with the team, and then we'll talk about the drivers. It's, I don't think you can do that because it is a tale of two drivers, really. I mean, you. You sit there and you've got a hundred and something and thirty-two. The story is that Pierre Gasly effectively maximised what you could get out of that package. I think I think it's unlikely that anybody outside of you know Lewis or Max would have got more points out of it. On the podium, let's not forget yeah. three fourths and a third. Yeah, that was pretty good. It was third at Azerbaijan. The car was very quick at certain tracks. It was not a consistent car. It was not quick everywhere. It was quick at certain tracks. And it also had a bit of an issue of being much faster in qualifying than it was in the race, which appeared to be a... See, it appeared to be a tyre wear issue, but the tyre issues obviously can be down to the driver or can be down to where the car's running. But Gasly, I think, overall had a, partic- had a reasonably good season. I, mean, I, think, I don't think his stock went up or down. I think it, people who liked him still liked him. Teams were thinking about him once he got out of the contract, were thinking about him the contract. He maximised what he could do. And I think he's pretty much wiped out the disaster that was his season at uh, Red Bull, May- mainly because everyone who's fin- followed him has also had difficulties with uh, with Max. So you kind of go, oh, fine, it wasn't down to him, he had a difficult season. Um, I think Yuki Tsunoda has been, at times, the greatest thing and the biggest disappointment of the season. The first race, he was absolutely brilliant. The last couple of races, he was really good. And the intervening 19 races was a combination of cock-ups and disasters and, and disappointments. And and he suffered from that, I think, uniquely Japanese issue of being way too honest. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you just have to not tell the journalist what you're thinking and style it out and he said no I feel my confidence is going I'm losing my confidence I'm surprised they're going to retain me because I've crashed so often and this sort of thing and in the middle of the season you know, it did seem like a leap of faith by Franz Tost to retain him but at the end of the season it was picking back up again he was getting quicker he had a bit of an unfortunate accident in Saudi when he was going well he went well in Abu Dhabi I think he ended up was he fifth in the end in Abu Dhabi um, fifth and fourth those two yeah yeah so and I think that that was, it was kind of a you know he started brilliantly. Interesting, of course, Abu Dhabi, he'd also done a huge amount of testing out. Now, he runs around season two, and he's been to virtually all the tracks. And, yeah, there's a couple of ones which were come on this season. But he, that, to me, I think is what he needs. He's done 100 laps or so around every single track now. Um, so I think, you know, Sonoda's second season, I, I'm quite confident he's going to be much, much better. 
Gasly, I think, is going to continue being Gasly. Gasly needs to get out of, Red, out of Alpha Tower because it's a dead end for him. So I think if his contract's running out, he needs to work out where to go. And, and there are obvious places which could go because people in larger teams, look at you, Danny Ricciardo, have underachieved. And, you know, the, yeah, there are there is a chance that he could get into a different team. But, you know, that's, that's where they're at. Alpha Tower, you know, I think a great performance from the B team. But... Would have been better if the number two driver had perhaps had a bit of extra experience. At least though now, there is a point to the B team. When you're bringing somebody like Sonoda through, mm-hmm. which there hasn't always been in the past, and you've been highly critical of that, and, and at least they've, they've done that. I'm going to kind of stray into preview territory now, but how much more important does AlphaTauri Honda from this season, when it becomes AlphaTauri Red Bull, seasons going forward how much more does that how much more important does that second team become well you know the bread and 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 will that affect an influence driver choice it should do but the red bull young driver program of course is a bit of a a weird thing isn't it yeah they'll they'll point to sebastian fettel that's absolutely fair fantastic yep he went through the whole process they point to Max Verstappen, but that doesn't really count because they picked him up in a, in a bidding war because they could put him in a team, you know, and he spent six months and went into it, it was 18 months and went into F1. Yes, all right, he's not, he, absolutely, F, they developed him, but they didn't discover him. He was never in the programme prior to that. Um, and then you kind of run out of people who've been successful in the programme. You get people who've had a year and been discarded. Now, Alex Albon, of course, is coming back next year into Williams, so that's mm. a chance for him to be, even though he's no longer, no, I'm not, I'm not going to talk at all to Red Bull with my Mercedes, with the Mercedes. no, 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 no whatever you know i'm not sure i think you know there is an issue with the red bull young drive program maybe that's run by helmet marker who's bat crazy um but um you know it's easy to be critical they are running an extra two cars on the grid the car the cars are competitive you know with pierre gasly they're putting in a good performance you know i think they've got a good chance but it, realistically what they should do is gasly should be out of the team now and somebody else young should be in it um, well, well, that's only if you look at it as a development team. If you look at it as two more prongs, two more tines to your four-pronged yeah, fork, you know, because the, they are the only. T- they are the only team. Red Bull are the only concern in Formula One who genuinely have two teams. Yeah. And, and you've got to say, that should be a bigger advantage to them. Yeah, and obviously moving forward, it is a bigger advantage because it allows, enables them both to use the engine and amortise the cost across two teams. Now, it's possible that other teams might want to use the engine moving forward, but for next year, they've now got four users for the, the engine. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it hasn't been used properly for a while. I say it should be a situation where we've got two young drivers in there. And if you look at who's driving in the main team you've got Sergio Perez who is I use the word journeyman it's not fair but he's been around a number of teams and it's nothing to do with Red Bull and Max who they basically got in a bidding war so the actual junior programme hasn't produced anybody in the team at the moment now theoretically one of those two Gassi will never get promoted again because he's annoyed some people higher up is Sonoda you know going to be good enough in next year to move into the team that's that's what they're going to have to decide and then uh, and what about the F2 drivers who are, uh, are still coming up yeah you've got Liam Lawson and the rest of the gang who, who you know and, and theoretically Alex and Albon and, and many others so uh, Yuri Vips I think he's probably missed his chance now so yeah I mean I think it's it is it is flawed but at least the car is competitive and it's not trolling around the back it's in the midfield and there's no reason to expect it won't continue to be in that fifth sixth position next year 
Let's move to fifth position, and it is the Alpine Renault team. Mm-hmm. They scored, uh, they amassed 155 points. So, uh, what's that? 13 points more than Alpha Tari Honda. But really, this is the last of the back of the grid to midfield teams. McLaren Mercedes kind of almost sit in their own group on 275 and then everything else is is miles uh, miles away from that actually you, sh- you should see how mclaren and, and, and ferrari sit sit in the middle of that alpine renault then 155 did have uh, a win on the season and the crazy hungarian uh, race of course uh, for them and, and well done uh, to that in the driver standings their two drivers were 10th and 11th uh, Esteban Ocon with 74 points Fernando Alonso on 81 points slightly outscoring his teammate um, great to see right first of all I'm going to say great to see Fernando back um, I, you might as well replay some of my comments for Vettel because I'm a bit more of a Fernando fan I, I, I don't know what uh, Fernando's made mistakes Dan through the years in his choices, and which makes me think that he's not the easiest person to work with, and he should have more for Formula One World Championships than he does for the talent and the speed that he's got. I really liked his attitude coming back this year because, in some ways, he had a lot to lose. Look at when Schumacher come, came back and was comprehensively handed his seat by Nico Rosberg, who everybody, nobody would think Nico Rosberg was better than Schumacher, but Schumacher's whole legacy for me was tainted by that that performance when he came back. You've got nothing to win and everything to lose when you do that. Alonso has outscored his, his teammate, not by much. Did he get the better results? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, the Alpine, uh, the Renault car... Uh, sits right in the middle of the championship. Sum up their season. Well, they managed to stretch their way into fifth place in the last three or four races, which is really what they needed to do because it meant they hadn't gone backwards. Uh, the car wasn't great. It looked a bit fat, which is an odd thing for a car to look like, but it looked a bit fat. The, the See, it's all, but I really like the design of that car. Yeah. I, I, I did think... But that that's just... I think that's me looking at it with with eyes that remember cars that that looked slightly fatter. It's like a Ligier teapot, isn't it, from 76? Absolutely. Um, Alonso's comeback was, was good. It took him a couple of races to get his eye in. Um, I, I, I've not, you've got the results there. I've no idea if my feeling is actually backed up by scores, but I felt the issue for them was there was never a point where both of them had a good race at the same time. There was always a point where one of them was doing better than the other. Um, and there were some races where the Alpine was rubbish and there some races where the Alpine was good, but you never felt there was a race where they both... Clicked. I mean, obviously they got a decent haul of points in Hungary because Esteban won and I think Alonso was fourth after holding Lewis up. And they got a decent bit of points in Qatar, didn't they, when um, Alonso was third and... Was it third and sixth, was it? I don't know, fourth and sixth, I don't know. But it was kind of felt they never... Uh, third and fifth, yeah. You kind of felt they never had a point where they were both running... You know, one or the other, one or t'other, was having a bit of an off day. Um, but there was a lot of potential there. Both drivers, I think, are you know top notch. I think, but I think Esteban's had a, a a growing season again, moving forward. Only two races in the season where Esteban didn't score points: the first race of the year when he was thirteenth, and when he retired at Austin. 
and there was a whole run of races from the second race, the, the first, the Italian races, all the way up to Austin and that retirement where he scored points, uh, including that win in Hungary. Now, you said earlier on about maximising, if you're a midfield team, and with no disrespect at all to the teams we're talking about now, at the best, they are midfield teams against the might, the supposed might, of um, certainly Ferrari and Red Bull and um, and uh, uh, Mercedes-Benz. You've got to maximise that. And when they were first and fourth in Hungary, they did exactly that. The rest of the season, as you say, sometimes they, they didn't manage that. But it was, you know, a phenomenal run of of finishes for yeah, for, for the two. For one or t'other. Yeah, one yes. or t'other was in the points. Uh, barring the US race where they both retired. And they had a suspension issue, didn't they? Cause it, but for virtually the entire race, which is what you need to do if you're in the, in the midfield. But of course, a lot of those are ninths and tenths, which is one point and two points. There was yeah, I th- it's hard to criticise, but I think they they probably the car- sorry yes, Gasly uh, only w- didn't finish in the points five times I think yeah, six times in the yeah. season. I'm sorry, I was re- reading that the wrong way around. Go ahead. But the point, but it's, I think yeah, you know, it, it's indicative of that really is, is that they, the team itself got points virtually every race, but it wasn't always the same driver. Um, and sometimes the qualifying was great for Mocon, and sometimes the qualifying was great for Alonso, and it was like there was yeah, you, know, you kind of like there was a sweet spot which neither of them could reach at the same time. I kind of think it's just indicative the car was a bit of a difficult thing to, to get. Not much between out. them when you consider that there was only seven points between them over a season. Ocon won a race. Yeah. Uh, Alonso was third in a race. You kind of think that they wrung the best of it out. And you kind of expect that from Alonso to sometimes perhaps slightly outperform what the car. So, so, that, so that tells you how good Ocon is, surely? Yeah, or does it just say they were running to the pat to what the car could do? I mean, it's very hard because it's yeah, you know, it's a situation where you don't know where the car was. It didn't look good in 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 uh, preseason uh, practice. They, they they didn't have a great time in testing at all. I think at the end of the day, finishing fifth with a hat full of points and a win, they're probably thinking that's pretty much our minimum. But we'll take it, and we won't get any any aggro from the Renault board, and we can move forward to next year and hope to move forward. There's an issue they have is that there's, there's the t- the four teams we haven't talked about yet are all incredibly strong, and there's no reason that they won't move forward either. And this is this is the great thing about the competitive nature of F1 that Alpine are going to need to do something special to get past any of them. Uh, we've got Nick Damon here. It's a midweek motorsport special. We're looking at the team by team on the Formula One World Championship for 2021 it's fair to say that the next team we're going to talk about in fourth in the championship have not had a good well decade to be honest possibly more than that and i seem to have found myself and i haven't always taken part in these review programs but i seem to think i've told myself year after year in the previews as well as the reviews McLaren can't have a, as bad a year as they had last year. This year has been better. It has been, right, it's fourth position, but there are 125 points away from fifth position. They're 50 points, give or take, away from Ferrari in third. Then there's a big gap to the leading two. But this is improvement for McLaren. There's no doubt in my mind 
that they are going in the right direction. The change to Mercedes engines could have been difficult. They were given those extra tokens to make it work, and they have made it work. Yeah, they were the team the most to lose because they're doing a major engine change in uh, straight in regulations, the chance to get it wrong. The fantastic um, stat from the season is that McLaren are the only team to have got a 1-2 this season, <laughs> uh, which they achieved in Monza. Um, and certainly they deserve the win. Um, and a faster slap as well. They deserve the win, I think, if, it, if Lewis hadn't been hit by it. It's some butts, but anyway, got a 1-2. Um, they faded badly at the back end of the season. That was mostly due to bad luck, in fairness. I mean, honestly, Lando had a terrible run of bad luck. The thing is, underlying, good car, Lando Norris, great, but massive underperformance by the man they thought would be leading the team, was Danny Ricciardo. He just didn't... I, I, don't, I don't think any of us expected this, but he was under par the whole way. Now, Lando's very... Did this decent start of the season? You know, 7th, 6th, ninth, 6th in the first two. Then... Yeah, but he's... A, sorry, but, you know, he's, he, what does Lando do? 4, 3, 5, 8. You know, yeah, he's, he's beating him every time. And I think there's two things here. I think Danny had a problem... Uh, adapting to the car, which obviously Lando was used to. And also Lando's really stepped it up. You know, he's 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 looking like the real thing. He's yeah, I think he's he's one of these guys who he was young for his age and mm. young physically for his age. You look at an eighteen year old uh Max and an eighteen year old Lando, it's a completely different situation. As he grows and gets bigger, he's getting better and better and better. Danny Rick, you know, has a you know, he's got a hatful of points, but most of them came from that win and, and on the whole a lot of tracks, he's just looked a lot slower than the Lando, which you don't expect from a man who was you know, toe-to-toe with Max a few years ago. Uh, four <coughs> podium for Podia for Lando. One win, but the only time that he visited the box at the end of the race for, for Danny Rick. Um, Danny Rick, somewhat of a mercurial character. Happy, smiley but clearly doesn't do breakups very well. <laughs> Things get very tetchy when he leaves a team or when there's a potential of him leaving a team. 115 points for him, 160 for Lando. Uh, that's a significant uh, difference given that he clocked the, uh, the, uh, the victory uh, I think they both had a, a single retirement yeah, over the year. remember that Lando also obviously massively lost out in Russia when he was looking like he was going to win. I know, again, we're talking ifs and buts. And also had that run at the end of the season where he had um, two punctures and a, and a problem in the last three races, which again cost him 20 points. So I'm not trying to be the Lando Norris apologist, but I'm more saying that the, the gap was much bigger between him and Danny and the car itself, which McLaren produced, was, was, was worthy of fourth place and, and possibly without Ferrari's um, much more focused development could have come third Hmm. Uh, decent hiring strategy from from McLaren Um, we said this um, Zach Brown is a man who can't work miracles but he's a shrewd operator he he knows motor racing he's a massive enthusiast he has not let that cloud his judgement and I say that in the nicest possible way it's all too easy sometimes to let the emotion Bool you down the hill sometimes, um, but in in bringing in the management team and changing the management team, it wasn't going to happen overnight. But this year, it certainly looked like it was paying off. There's, the, the issue is with with F one. There's no miracles when you when you get down 
you know, we get to the bottom of the stairs, it's a very, very long climb back, and it's very hard to circumnavigate any of it. Um, you know, McLaren were, as you rightly point, have been, have not been a force to reckon with since Lewis left uh, in 2012. Um, they've been risible um, during the uh, first part of the Honda partnership, which further collapsed was spectacularly. During those two periods, they've had massive management changes with Ron and Martin going, and, and you know, Zach picked up a shell of an organisation that was out of date and very much financially straightened. That has been, you know, turned around to an effect where they are now, you know, the most effective customer team on mm. the grid. Good point. Um, so you go, okay, well, that's, that's a good start. And Andreas Seidel's been a great hire. Yeah. Everybody talks about, and listen, I'm a big fan of Andreas because we saw him with Porsche. Um, he is, I, I like him as a character. I like that sort of nervous giggle that he does when he's been asked questions. Um, but let's not forget, he was uh, the driving force behind BMW F1 before he went to Porsche. And that that was difficult when he made the, the, the change between those two German behemoths of, of, of automotive and motor racing. And he made that work. He's come in, he's, it's taken a wee time, but I see something in McLaren now that I can't honestly say that I've seen for a decade. No, I, I, I think, you know... It, in the organisation. Yeah, I mean, it takes a while to come back. And, and, you know, they've had a couple of good seasons prior to this, or, or growing seasons with um, Carlos and Lando, and then obviously Lando now taking with Danny. And I think it's been a, it's, it's an upward curve. They've, they've now reached a point where, where have they reached the ceiling? They're behind Mercedes, they're behind Red Bull, and behind Ferrari, all of whom we know have the resources to maximise this uh, regulation change. I don't know. One or other might make a mistake and not get it right. But if you were to sit down and go, who do I think the top three teams are going to be? It'd be those three. So to break into it, there's more work to be done. I'm not saying it can't happen, but where they are now is, you know, getting close to where you would say a customer team's glass ceiling is historically. But, you know, with, with, the, with the cost cap and with the unified engines, perhaps those, no, those rules no longer apply. Uh, 250 points uh, separate Ferrari and Red Bull Honda. Um, 50 points ahead of McLaren. Ferrari this year, the Scuderia. We always talk about the pressure that there is on Ferrari. Additional pressure in the last few years because of that um, deal they did with the FIA. Uh, Their two drivers, Charles Leclerc, uh, behind Lando Norris by a point in the championship in seventh position. Carlos Sainz, I still think, I still think, even after this year, Carlos Sainz is underappreciated and, and underrated. Fifth in the championship, 164 and a half points, uh, adding uh, his total uh, and, and outperforming his much-vaunted teammate who's supposed to be the next big thing. Sainz, he does it in a much quieter, much more... You know, he's, he's Spanish, he's Mediterranean, but he doesn't have that kind of throwing his hands up in the air. He's a very methodical driver. I like him. I like him a lot. Um, he's he's had podiums this year. Didn't get to the top step of the podium. He, he got a second and a couple of, no, three thirds, wasn't it, that, that he got. I think he's, for me, I think he's possibly, for me, my driver of the season because, no, and I'll, I'll, but, I'll, but let, let me explain that. Because 
I think he has done more within his team than people thought he would do. Yes. Uh, one thing that is undeniable, he is of the people who changed team, he's changed team most seamlessly and done an exceptionally steady, quality job. He's made few mistakes and he's maximised the situation. The issue really for me with Carlos is I don't think his highs are as high as um, the three drivers, four drivers. I would mention Norris, um, Leclerc, Verstappen and Hamilton. I don't think he's got those heights in him. Um, however, if you're going to want a guy who's going to score you large hatfuls of points, and he is, you know, I would choose him over Bottas or Perez or Ricciardo. Is he the perfect number two then? Only twice he didn't score this year, and in those two races at Portugal and Manico, uh, sorry, Manico, Ricard, um, he was 11th. So, you know, he is steady Eddie, isn't he? No, he's great. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't call him a number two. Perhaps he's in that, like Rubens used to say, was number one and a half. Um, <laughs> No, I think that's unfair to say that. I think we'd love to pigeonhole drivers. He is a guy who maximises what the car will give him. I don't see Carlos, and I'm happy to prove him wrong moving forward, outperforming the car. And I know that's actually impossible to do, but let's not go into that now. No, but Um, I know what you mean. Sometimes you have a fifth-place car and you somehow ring a fourth-place or a third-place out of it. Yeah, Yeah, okay, I understand what you're saying. I I am a big fan of Carlos's as well, and, you know, you you sit down, who'd be your name on your your team sheet of your fantasy team? Stick him down, because he's going to score your hat full of points every week, you know, he's and and, and he finished the season strongly, he managed to outscore Charles, but Charles got those higher points. He's got those, you know, the couple of pole positions early in the season. He's got the the times when he just put in fantastic performances and put the car where it shouldn't be. And uh, it's interesting because I've been thinking about this. He's made some mistakes and he's looked, you know, been a bit wild. And I always think, if you weren't trying to push so hard, if your car was better under you, would you have made those mistakes? can't answer it mm. it's kind of thinking Charles you've made the mistakes and you've overdriven and you pushed too hard but if your car was better would you just have driven that car to a point was it because you were trying to do things that it wouldn't let you do you've ended up you know in the wrong place well, and, let's, and let's be honest sure may be. yeah but and, and let's be honest he finished uh, five and a half points behind his teammate and he didn't get to the grid at, at Monaco because the team made a mistake well he made a mistake uh, well, he made a mistake in qualifying, and then the team yes. decided that it, that the to roll the dice and and leave the gearbox in, which subsequently was was the wrong decision. Now, if they changed it, he would have ended up further back down the field. Would he have got back in the points if yeah, Sinan's pops and pants? Maybe in sixth. So you know, no, I know, and I, and I and I, you know, if you absolutely sit down and go, who had the better season, given everything that were coming into it? You go for Carlos because he came in new. And Charles has been there for a couple of years. But who is the person who you would pin your hopes on to, to lead a Ferrari World Championship? You're going to say Charles. But is Sainzi the better second driver of Perez and Bottas then? Well, it's not Bottas anymore. No, no, but uh, in the, we're talking about the season just passed. Yes, so so he, he's the only quote-unquote second driver who outperformed the lead driver. Yeah, I, I think 100% he's the best of the three of them. Hmm. I think... I think doesn't even even it's not even close competition. Um, you know there was a huge amount of disappointment from both of those. We'll discuss later. Uh, Ferrari then, yeah, uh, recovering, yeah, um, without the major change in, in regulations. They were um, 
stuck with what they had, the package that they had. Um, it, third, undoubtedly, the best that they could have could have expected, but he could have been worse. No, no, I think they they're more than happy where they are now. Third, comfortable few points ahead of McLaren. It was looking much worse at half season or two thirds season actually. Um, then they did carried on with the development, which is interesting because a lot of teams didn't carry on with it. But the development they carried on was based on power unit, which could be carried over into next season. Um, I think they did from where they were. I think they did an excellent job. I think you know, but yeah, you know, in fairness, it's Ferrari and they shouldn't be you know. You know, where you're at they, they obviously have the, the money and the, and the wherewithal and coming third several hundred points behind the top two is, is perhaps you know us saying what a great job they've done you think if it, historically it's like mm, not so sure but from where they were you go yes so this is the whole point I said you can't climb the F1 staircase in leaps and bounds unfortunately it's step by step by step didn't win a race again this year though no, and, and despite the high, the quality qualifying they put in early in the season, they never looked like winning a race. And it's possible. I was oh no, that it was going to be their season after after testing. Every all the all the experts in the Formula One bubble told us so. No, they didn't. They obviously it was going to be Red Bull season. <laughs> um, quick quick thought um, about Ferrari, and again slightly straying into preview territory. Out of the four top teams, they are the only team who will not be as badly affected by the the cuts in resources because they're going to amortise some of that into a sports car um, programme. So they're holding on to people. They're going to have more opportunity to do stuff and to slide stuff under the, the table there. Does that give them an advantage over Red Bull and, and Mercedes? Um, I think... It... I think that and are they going in the right direction? I should say as well. I think Ferrari being very fair in how they've handled the cost cap, in that they have um, distributed some of their, their their key staff into the to customer teams. They don't want to fire anyone. It's difficult to fire people in Italy, so they've opened up other opportunities, including the LMDH opportunity, which is great for all of us in LMH. LMH, sorry, who like mode the sport. Uh, I'll never get that right. Um, <laughs> Start learning it. And. I yeah, and I, and I think and I, and I, I much as everyone loves the Machiavellian things, I don't see anything Machiavellian. In it. I think it's just a a, a good yeah. HR yeah. world. Um, I think Mercedes have also slowly moved people around, and one of the advantages they have is of course they can move people back into the road car organisation, so they haven't got a problem. Red Bull have found a lovely place to put people in their powertrains department as well, though they have let some people go and some people who I think they have a few more people who are partnered with the Aston Martin side and they got left across the Aston Martin so I think all the teams have managed to manage that downsizing I mean McLaren now talking about doing LMDH uh, yes with the with the Ford engine so LMH hang on which one's which <laughs> or LMDH possibly LMDH is the one which Audi's doing isn't it Yes. Yes, that's the one they're looking to do. Um, anyway, God, this F1 review. This is why I'm, but this think, is why, this think, is why I'm not doing the sports car review. LMP, LMP2 <laughs> chassis or a bespoke chassis. Ferrari are doing a bespoke chassis yeah. with uh, with Delara and with EF Corsa. Um, Audi, uh, Porsche are doing multimatic chassis. Um, and the potential is for McLaren, Alpine... Of course, yeah. um, Alpine Renault to do something with one of the other LMP2 chassis manufacturers. Yeah, I think that's a good way of. It's a good, great training ground. It's a great training ground. Yeah, you, you get your team managers 
your sub team managers and managers P2 team of an endurance race, you're going to get a season's worth of education in about you know three races. So, mm, very, um, yes, very good. And, and get to deal with the race director knows what he's doing as well. So, oops, sorry, don't say that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, well, some of the time, almost all of the time. I think everyone knows it most of the time. Um, yeah, but I think Fry, I think Fry, actually, I've been quite impressed with him this year. Mm-hmm. I, and, I, and they've and they've gone about it in a good way as well. Slightly quieter, less oh, shitey, well. less shouty, less less Mediterranean. Well, they've just let the two top teams. I'm doing I'm doing air quotes there. Mm. Um, take all the ridiculous noise, and they've got on with it. And they've gone. Well, we need to get third, and they've got third. Uh, well, we'll talk about this when we get get to the end. But they did actually get screwed slightly in, in the final race as well. Sainzi got screwed there and they've been yeah. a bit quiet about that. 323 and a half points. Next up is 585 and a half. Now before anybody starts shouting that we're not doing this the right way we always do team by team with how the teams yes. finish and we always do the FIA Formula 1 review on how the teams finish. So it's never the Drivers' Championship. It's always the one that pays the big money that we talk about. And even when we do the race results, when Nick does his team by team, it's the driver of the two of the team that finished lowest. Yes. That So, for example, if Red Bull wins, but Sergio's the first retirement, then it's Red Bull that comes first. So th- this is absolutely on point. So if you're listening to this and you, you think we're not giving due deference to the Drivers' World Champion, that's not the case. Second in the Entrance World Championship, Red Bull Racing Honda, 585.5 points. Their two drivers, Sergio Perez and uh, Max Verstappen, uh, winner of the World Championship for Max, his first, the first Dutchman to do it, and Sergio sitting uh, down in fourth position with 190 points. Let's leave the controversy out for the moment. Let's talk about the car. No, we can talk about that. We, we will have time. I'm just looking at the clock. We will have time to do this. Let's talk about the two drivers. Perez, um, more than a journeyman, has done his job, in, in some ways has done a better job than those who have gone before in a Max Verstappen-led Red Bull team. Because let's not make any make no mistakes about this this is a team that's built around Max Verstappen Um, the second driver is not an afterthought but certainly they have not been as close at the sharp end of the Constructors Championship as they have been this year Perez eventually finishes in fourth position let's talk about the car over the season and certainly at the start to the middle of the season it's the quickest car. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's if you get onto the toxicity of the forums, and so, um, sometimes I waste my life and look at them, there appears to be a massive argument about which car was fastest, because that obviously backs up whoever you want to think is your, is the best driver. Cause they well, weren't. even Helvet Marco was admitting in July that they had the fastest car. At the start of the season, without a shadow of a doubt, the Red Bull was the fastest car. Despite the fact that Mercedes won three of the first four races, outside of Portimao, um, where I think for even including Portimao, there was, a, there was an element really where Red Bull weren't maximising this advantage they had, and Mercedes were getting away with it a little bit. 
Um, you know, they, they they won in Spain using tactics. They won in Portimao by 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 effectively having two cars which were up the front compared to just one because this was the, the early start. You know, Perez was not really firing to begin with. Through the middle part of the season, you know, if you look at you know Austria for example, the two Austrian races, it was just it was they was Red Bull was so far ahead. We all thought the season was over. Um, certainly, again, if you look into Spa, even though it never happened, you look into Zandvoort, and you know they were again way quicker. Then we got to two races which we thought Mercedes should win, which is Spa and. Uh, you missed out, obviously. I missed the race out deliberately because some of them. Were, uh, you missed out Silverstone, where Max had to be taken to hospital. Don't. I'll get back to that later. That's, that's, that's all part of it. We're not talking about now. Um, I'm just about cars at this point. Um, I think that if you take the 22 races, my feeling is that they had the faster car on. Actually, more. saying faster is wrong. Better package. Yeah, that's about. My, they had the better package. More. Okay. One thing I think is indisputable is that they had the better qualifying car. Mm. Over the season, they had the better qualifying car. I think if you look at it, you would go, yeah, they had the better qualifying car, even though Perez couldn't use it. Um, so I think over one lap, they were always quicker. Not always quicker, but, but you know, say, say, you know, if we say it was 11-11, which I don't think it was, I think it was probably 12-10 in the races. It was probably about 16-6 or 17-5 in qualifying. In, in the favour of Red Bull. In, the, in favour of Red Bull. Um you know, there were some you know, ridiculous standouts, like how much quicker they were in Austria and how much quicker they were in Mexico. But on the flip side, the following week after Mexico, which was um, Brazil, it was back the other way again. So both teams had their moments of, of, of greatness. I think Red Bull designed a very good car. I think Adrian finally did. A, they finally didn't do the thing where they went off course and had to work out what was going on the first four or five races because they actually invested some time in doing some testing at the back end of 20 which was a good move hit the ground running um, and they they did struggle working the tyres though didn't they either oh. they overworked them or they underworked them they, they, they struggled they had the tyre failure of Azerbaijan um, they sometimes didn't get the best out the the tyres in the race I think you know and Let's speak of this very quietly because, you know, he is a god. I don't think Max is yet on a level with Sergio or Lewis as far as time management is concerned. He's good, but he's not at that level. And so if you get to races where you have to combine going for it and time management, he's not quite there. Um, I think there were tracks where the, you know, tracks which, which suited the Red Bull's balance better. A good example is Austin, where they, they won a race they shouldn't have won by driving very, very well. Um, and, then they lo- and then they, you know, if we look at the horrendously con- con- controversial race in Saudi Arabia, in fairness, you know, it didn't really matter all that rubbish because they, 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 the car would have gone off the last seven laps and Lewis would have gone past him anyway because the, they burnt the tyres out. But... You know, I think, I think, yeah. I mean, I, 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 if you look what Sergio did, I don't think it was down to the car. I think it was positive in the setup and the driving um, that you did tend to say tend. Not, I'm not trying to. Yeah, well, yeah, but I, I'm playing slightly devil's advocate here. But Sergio couldn't get the results that Verstappen did. No. Therefore, the setup on Verstappen's car to get the pace out of it, the tyres wouldn't stay under it. You, you could easily say that. No, and I agree. And I think, I think without. Knowing a little bit more than we'll ever know, <laughs> you, you you can't judge where we're at. And we can make assumptions. We can say, but if you're, but yeah, you know, I think the problem they had was is that Sergio really didn't come on strong until the second half of the season. And the second problem they had was Sergio was always poor at qualifying. 
you know, that's the big difference with the number two. Yeah, you look at the number two driver at Mercedes, the number two driver at um, Red Bull, you know, the, the Bottas was significantly better qualifying and significantly less good in a lot of the races. But Sergio was out of position to do anything because he qualified so badly. The races where he was actually in position to do things, you know, he, you know, he did a great job in the last race. He did a really good job in Turkey as well of, of upsetting things. He did a reasonable job, actually, in, um, uh, I say Mayco, or again, in Paul Ricard. He, he, he was a spoiler run there. But the fact that we can remember the times that happened over 22 races is indicative of how often he wasn't there. Hmm. Um, half the points, pretty much. 190 to 395 and a half for his teammates. It's not a bad haul, and it, and as I say, it brought Red Bull closer than anybody's been to Mercedes in the last eight seasons. No, absolutely. I mean, the the, the fact is that the Red Bull, um, due to the regulation changes and due to being well designed, was you know significantly closer than it had been in the previous years. Let's would not... Carlos Sainz have done a better job? Yes. If he'd st- if he'd been at Red Bull, yes, of course he would. Goes without saying, of course he would. Because um, Perez's issue, I mean, Carlos Sainz is not the greatest qualifier in the world, but he's not, he's, you know, he's good. In a modern F1, you can't qualify like Perez does and, and be able to work a strategy. It's, the problem is, it's just that's how it works. It's a bit unfair, really, because he's a great race driver, but he's rubbish, not rubbish, not unfair. He's not as good at qualifying as others. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, very, that's a point. You, 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 you look at who you've got. I think Perez was a, Perez was a disappointment, but. When, in some ways, when you end up with a car that's been so heavily developed towards one driver who, like many really good drivers, has a quite unique style. You it's know, the Mar- Marquez effect, isn't yeah, it, for Honda in, in, in MotoGP? Yeah, and it's interesting that, that, that the improvements that Perez began to find was when he moved away from what Verstappen was saying into his own route. And so the car was ending up being very different to what um, Verstappen did. You know, and, and as you know, there are limited windows the way cars work. So if you can find it working in two areas in the same window, you're very lucky. I think they got that nearer that towards the end. Now, obviously, we've got a complete reset. But, yeah, I think Perez was disappointing in some ways. I think he wasn't actually as disappointing as, as Bottas, but he was disappointing in some ways. Um, and then he always turned to Max, and, and Max is our world champion. And... Um... He got his win in Azerbaijan under uh, the weird circumstances. That was the tyre failure for Max. Max Verstappen then, um, uh, hundred and plenty races. He, yeah. He's a world champion yep. now. Um, I've, I, I'm going to say this now, and we'll we'll get onto this because we have to talk about it. I've, I actually uh, um, I'm disappointed for Max in no other way is that there is always going to be. Um, ah yes but on on this world championship forum Um, and whatever anybody thinks that isn't going away and the FIA and the new boss at the FIA um, Ben Salomon former rally driver uh, it's not the fans fault it's not the press's fault it's their own fault and unfortunately and I I feel for everybody at Red Bull and and particularly for, for Max because he doesn't deserve his first world championship to be tainted like this. And whatever happened in the other 20 races, it will always be tainted by what happened in the race. And we'll, we'll discuss that in a wee while. It won't take long because it, it, there's not much more for us to say about this. But when you look at the stats, Nick, mm-hmm. he finished um, out of the points only on the times that he didn't cross the line. 
So Azerbaijan, uh, Great Britain and Italy. Every other time he was in the points and the worst that he finished was Hungary in ninth. And then he'd he'd been used as a... um, as a snooker ball yep. as well. Nobody, let's, I'm not a portion of blame there, and I don't think there was any. It was Bottas's fault, but it wasn't deliberate. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yes, it was a mistake, but it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a deliberate thing. So you look at that, and you look at his finishes across the season, second and first. He had more wins than any, anybody else. He wins in the end by seven points, um, eight points, excuse me. Um, there's been a lot of talk about deserved, and and I hate that word. I don't think anybody necessarily deserves something. You work for something. Um, can you say he's a worthy champion? Well, looking at the stats, you absolutely can. Uh, he was quick. He made the best of things when he could. There, forget about anybody saying what sort of a driver and how aggressive he is or he isn't. That's for other people to decide. No, I don't agree. Well, because ultimately everybody's going to have their own issues no, with that <laughs> and, and will explain it in a different way. But he's unsurely, he's got to be when you look at, 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 at look just on the finishing record alone, he's a worthy world champion. Yeah, I. My feeling after a couple of days' reflection coming out of um, Abu Dhabi, is we ended up probably with the right world champion in completely the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I don't personally like the way he goes racing. But that doesn't necessarily mean he goes racing the wrong way, because I don't personally like it. Um, if we look at the first half of the season, you could not in any way say he wasn't the better driver of the two. So you look at the first half of the season, Lewis made several mistakes, and, and, and what I'm, you know, I, I still have doubts that I still think that, that Max was actually as much to blame for Silverstone as Lewis was because he didn't need to be there. But that's, you know, that's me, again, with my mature head on. Um, so you come out there in the first half of the season, so he's coming out of Hungary, where he was very, very unlucky. And, and he was actually behind in the points, but he'd given a much better first half of the season. Most of my issues with Max happen in the second half of the season. Um, obviously, he started well with the, 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 the not winning Spa and the winning Zandvoort. But once it started getting tricky, you know, taking crashing into Lewis in an aggressive and rather bolshy way in, in Monza... And the the various shenanigans in uh, Brazil and Saudi Arabia, and, and even to a lesser extent Abu Dhabi, and 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 the over aggressive moves where you insist that people have to move out of the way or crash, that's not how I want to see people go racing. I read the forums and I read the race, and they all think it's fantastic. I don't think crowding someone off the road, running them off the road, is the way you should go racing. But that makes him a world champion. Just make him a great driver. That's me. That's what I don't for me. Think. Yeah, I that, that, but then again, we, we you could talk to people about Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost. You could talk to people about Michael Schumacher and Damon Hill. Everybody's going to have their own reason. He's the world champion because he scored more points. Ultimately, it's it isn't for us to decide if the way he goes racing is the right way. That's got to come from somewhere else. Well, yes, and it doesn't, does it? 
and that's the problem. There's, you know, we, we, I think we probably need to have a conversation about that at the end of the team by team part. I feel that the problem f- that Max has got a problem coming, and his problem coming is if he ends up perhaps in a competition against Orlando or a competition against a Charles who, who aren't going to give him the room that Lewis has given him because Lewis knows about fighting another day. And I think he's going to end up finding himself in bits and pieces around corners because eventually people are going to go, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not letting you through. I don't care who you are. I'm just not going to do it. I'd rather just sit there. You know, I'll be quite honest with you. If I was, um, if I was Toto, I would effectively say to, to George next year, and I expect George to be significantly closer to Lewis than Valtteri was, don't let him through. Don't let him through. Never give him a yard. And if you have an accident, it's fine. We'll pay for the repair. Just because you, that he needs to learn that you can't bully your way through. He's got away with it this year through a combination of um, Macy, the first person, person he was racing against, was, was adult enough not to get involved. The two times it did get involved, it resulted in, in, in him not finishing, in, in uh, Max not finishing. Once he's in hospital, but I don't really get. Yeah, he visited hospital. He didn't I stay in hospital. That was that was standard operational procedure. I I and from the from the team management before that race even restarted. Christian Horner said everything was okay and he'd gone to hospital as a matter of procedure. I'm really bored now with people saying that Lewis put Max in hospital. That's utter garbage. And and I've got no axe to grind on either side. I just want people to actually report the facts. There's been a huge amount of garbage. And as soon as you mention the word Christian Horner or or Helmut Marko, you're pretty much guaranteed to have a complete refuse truck full of the stuff. I mean, that's my, my my, my disappointment with Max winning was only that he would have cheered. It meant, meant that um, Christian and Marco would be happy because I wish them nothing but misery. <laughs> um, my worry, and I say this, uh, as well as the fact that I feel that, uh, unfortunately for Max and for Red Bull, and everybody who's worked so hard for this, um, and, and let's be honest, it's been seven years of, of real graft for everybody behind Mercedes, and they still take the big money championship this year. Um, which is why we'll talk about them next. But there's the tainted version of this. um, And also, I think in some ways, um, there's potentially a validation to some of the driving tactics and the management Mm. tactics that we've seen this year. And I really don't want to see that no, I, again, I, again next year. No, I completely agree. With you. I completely. I think that's the thing that, that I, I. And it's fault on both sides, by the way. I, I, we'll yeah, talk about that in a minute. Yeah, but let, let, me, let me just say something funny. I, I think Max is. I think absolutely Max is a worthy world champion. Hundred um, percent. I'm just disappointed in how it happened because it wasn't fair at the end. But that doesn't matter because that's life. The only thing I would say is in what has been an incredibly toxic environment between the teams and the fans, the individual driver, it's actually given a chance for both teams to claim they won. Mm, and in a way... They both have. They both... Yeah, you sit around going, yeah, all right, actually, Max has won, but in many ways, in the eyes of the public and everything else, you know, Lewis has won as well. So it's a, it's a weird situation where we've had no result in many ways, because we do... Let's be absolutely honest about Max it. Max going to have number one in his car next year. He's going to take it as well, which actually is... I'm giving him, giving him a massive plus point for that straight away, going for number one, not having the 33. You know, we, but the fact is that the, the result was manipulated for whatever reason. Can't get away from that. But Max won, and that's what happens. And 
yes, for the next two or three years, there will be an asterisk in the record book. But when the you and me are doing this in 50 years' time, hopefully F1 is still going, there won't be. Mm, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. Because I, th- I think... I think this is a type of sport where you you look at all those things. When people remember that a wheel nut rattled off or an exhaust fell off or Sterling Moss went up a, up the pit lane and um, you know up the escape road and uh, Mike Hawthorne rather went up the escape road and, and won by you know all this sort of stuff. Oh, uh, anyway, let's move on to the top uh, team yeah. in the championship and that is um, Mercedes AMG Petronas. 613 and a half points uh, with second and third in the Drivers' Championship. Lewis on 387, Valtteri Bottas on 226. I'll ask you the same question uh, of Bottas uh, as I did with Sergio Perez. If Carlos Sainz had been in that car, would would he have done better than Bottas? Yeah, definitely, because Bottas was phoning in towards the end. Um, I don't think... Uh, Valtteri obviously won a race this year. Um, he started... Relatively well, but the problem that Valtteri's got is the complete opposite one from Perez. And Valtteri's a great qualifier and absolutely disappears in a number of races. Not all the races, not even Turkey, he was great. But yeah, you know, he just had, he was fine um, in the early parts of Saudi Arabia. He got a good start. He was in the mix. No, Saudi Arabia wasn't. That was Qatar. I'm thinking. I'm sorry, they're outside Arabia. You're right. Um, also, you know, he, he disappeared in Abu Dhabi again, and he, and he just disappears in certain races, and 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 he's just not able to be used regularly as a tactic. He should be third or fourth in every race unless he's got a mechanical issue. So we've got third retired, third, third retired. Okay, that's fine up until Monza. That's, you know, (coughs) retirement's not good, but they can happen. Then, um, all right, uh, Azerbaijan, 12th, fourth, third, second, third, retired, 12th in Belgium, the race that didn't really happen. Third, third, fifth, win in Turkey, sixth in the USA, 15th in Mexico, 3rd in uh, Brazil, retired in Qatar, 3rd in Saudi, 6th in Abu Dhabi. So there's only a couple of those where he's not in the top four. Yeah, but the problem is it's the gap, isn't it? It's the gap between, say, if Max is in second, where you can't influence what's going on because you've dropped back so far. And often, often he's been seventh and finally wandered past the three guys he should have been past it straight away and he's, he's a minute behind or a whole pit stop behind so yeah it was a poor season I think and I, uh, uh, you know he's managed to get himself a three year deal with Alfa Romeo which you know is interesting really because the one thing he's no good at is it's, sorry that's not fair the one thing he seems to be poor at is combat and that's what you got in the middle of the field so you kind of wonder what they've got they'll get a good qualifier well, um, you get a chance to lead a team here which he's not had before and maybe that'll, make, that'll be the making of it might be don't see why it should be. If you can't, if you can't perform with the best car, you know, yeah, you mentioned Carlos Sainz. Carlos Sainz has been up against, say, everyone's perceived superstar, and he's managed to, yeah, hold his own. Right, he's got a couple of extra points. That's by the by, but he's held his own, and not been overawed, and he's he's put in a good season. You know, both Perez and and uh, Bottas have been completely out, well, so ridiculously outperformed. Those last four or five races where. It seemed every single race, Max and Lewis were half a minute ahead of their teammates. And the rest? Well, the, the and the rest is fine. They're in different cars. No, no. I mean, uh, at least half a minute yeah. up the road. And, and that's you going, OK, well, that's what's going on with you two, is what you basically think. Right. Uh, Lewis Hamilton finishes second. Yeah. Um, uh, again, I, I'm, I, you know, people know who've, who've listened to Midweek Motorsport, I am not a Lewis fan in, in terms of a fanboy. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's certain things about... 
Lewis's and the cho- the choice he's made down through the years that um, uh, I've been highly critical of. Um, he's very good behind the wheel of a racing car, as is Max. Uh, so I've got no axe to grind on this. Uh, he finishes second. Um, he was broken at the end of Abu Dhabi. They pushed really hard. Mercedes, in fairness, switched the car on partway through the year. How they did that, we will probably not know. Actually, we might know because the car changes next year. So we might actually find that out if we keep reading race car engineering because Andrew (laughs) Cotton and the team there are very good at getting these things out. Um, They struggled. uh, the, 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 The close season changes hit them more than anybody else. They found something. We had uh, all kinds of fingers being pointed at them, but nobody prepared to put the money down and actually protest the car, which I have to say I've, I've found poor. Um, again, that's something we can discuss for a few minutes in a, a wee sec. Um, but Hamilton um, wins a plenty. A um, couple of retirements, obviously Italy, not his fault. Uh, seventh in Monaco. Um, but the fastest lap because he pitted late on. Fifth in Turkey, had to come in there. His tyres were on the canvas. Um, I know people say that that could have been different, but when you saw those tyres came off, there's not a chance they were going to the end, uh, to be honest. And then finishes with uh, three seconds and three firsts at the end of the season. Well, it should be four firsts. Um I think, yeah, it, it, first of all, I think Mercedes did a fantastic job in coming back for, in, in actually bothering to sort the car out, which was a pig and a half, and they did a great job, and they obviously bought some upgrades in Silverstone, which they managed to get working towards. You yeah. say that, though, but Hamilton won three of the first four races. Yeah, because that was as much Red Bull not maximising as, as anything else. I mean, it's a, the, first, the first race, Max should have won easily. Um, and then in, I mean, fairness in Portugal, I think the car was quicker. I think in Portugal they had a quicker car just because the, the vagaries of the track, the ups and downs, and the and the tyres. But certainly in Spain, it was a tactical reason. But anyway, I think you know Lewis didn't have no. Lewis was brilliant inverted commas, but didn't have a brilliant first half of the season. I think he made yeah you know, he had a very bad off weekend in Monaco. Made a mistake in Azerbaijan, whatever he tries to to gloss it over. He got away with a mistake in the other. Um, you know there were, there were problems left, right, and centre. I think his second half of the season, um, even though you couldn't see it in uh, in Belgium and, and the Netherlands, because he was actually did a very good job in the Netherlands, trying to even holding on to Max's coattails. In Italy, he made a small his final mistake as far as I'm concerned. The season that started the sprint race and was on the path to to gain points, and then he went for the rest of the season. Um, you know, I thought brilliantly. I think it, it was a brilliant second half of the season, which I think illustrated really by the way Max started being a little bit more aggressive now I'm not saying that's good or bad it just indicates that suddenly you could see the swing was coming you know I think Mercedes were quite clever they recognized they had an issue with the engine so they managed to take power plants with a minimum amount of uh, grid losses which was uh, interesting because that was a rule originally given to uh, make uh, Honda feel happier about things so I think you know the, yeah, if you look at the second half of the season there was, yeah first half of the season the first perhaps 12 races you know it was definitely Max was better and the last 10 I think definitely on an average you know, they all had the high points. Lewis is better. So we end up with a world champion. And I can see Lewis is obviously going to be massively upset about what happened in the last race, as, as are Mercedes. I think Mercedes themselves you know, have won the eighth world championship in a row for constructors with a car that wasn't as good as the Red Bull, which they then developed to be as good. And then, then you know, and I think, I think the interesting thing is, I think, you know, we've touched it a minute ago, is just how much Max and Lewis 
took those two respective cars away from the rest of the field. I've never seen that. I've never seen that with two guys in two separate teams just be half minute fast than their teammates every, every race for the last five, six races. Um, uh, we're, not, we're running out of time, um, which I'm quite pleased about really because I don't really want to have a, a, a massive chat about the, all the controversies. Um, one thing I will say, you and I have both been critical in the past about Mercedes-Benz and their race strategy. Um, they tend to be, I think, a wee bit naive. Maybe that's not the right word, but conservative certainly is. Did that cost them the world championship ultimately in Abu Dhabi? No, they they couldn't they couldn't do it. They couldn't. They, neither of the stops. They actually the first one didn't matter because they were completely in control after the virtual safety car. The tyres were fine anyway because again because Lewis is good at running them up, running them through, and the car was very quick. They didn't have enough lead. They didn't have enough lead to come in and come out. Um, and if they had gone in for tyres, Max wouldn't have. Max would have track position. They had no idea that uh, Massey was going to go and um, do what he did. So. You know, they they were completely stymied by luck and track position, track position and the FIA just making it as it goes along. Right, OK, so you've, you've brought that up. We've got under five minutes, right. which is in some ways not, not enough, much. but probably too much. Um, all I'm going to say is I worry that the FIA have not really understood the gravity of this problem. They have completely and utterly fractured the audience for Formula One into people who are literally pointing pitchforks at each other. (laughs) And unless the new president gets something right, which is, admit your mistakes, somebody's head's got to roll, I think it's got to be Massey. And let's be honest, on Midweek Motorsport, we've not been backwards and coming forwards about criticising Michael Massey all season long. It's just a lack of consistency a clear lack of any kind of respect from both Mercedes and Red Bull and potentially other teams as well. We don't get to hear that. Remember, everything we hear is edited and chosen, so we're not hearing everything else. Um, It is a complete you-know-what show at the moment, and it needs to be sorted, and Massey can't stay because everything is going to be... Everything from now on, every decision is going to be seen through the prism of this season, which has been a disaster for him as an individual and pretty poor for his team in race control. Because one thing I will say for Michael Massey, it's not just him. There are other people. But ultimately, he's the guy with the head on the block. Rules weren't followed. As far as I'm concerned, you know, look, I might be a messy person, but I am a process-driven person. When you live with the responsible adult, you have to be. And once you stop following rules, the only thing that happens is anarchy. And that is what the FIA has got right now. That's my two penneth. Um, tell me what you think and tell me what the FIA have got to do going forward. Well, I think the problem we have had is as you, we've finally had a massive competitive championship which has been built up, out, built up by the various TV companies and by Liberty because they decided they needed the publicity. They stoked the flames and they found some fantastic talking heads, um, initially in Horner and Marco, and then Toto Wolf joined in um, belatedly. Horner has said some unforgivable things, as has Marco. I think Toto... Particularly about the marshals. Yeah, I think Toto's been slightly less on the edge. I'd probably let him off some of the stuff. But, you know, I, I think Horner is just an odious little 
prig and Marco's mental, so you've got to let him off. Um, but the problem is, is, is it comes down to being, forget, forget Abu Dhabi, which is an aberration by an idiot and he needs to be fired because the only way, as you rightly say, John, you can get any credibility back is if we've got somebody. I, don't, I, I have much, as I, I, when you ask for firing a foot manager, I don't know who's coming in, but somebody should be able to do the job. If all two people do it better than him. But the whole issue, all these problems have been caused by inconsistency. Throughout the whole season. This yeah. is not just I mean, about Abu Dhabi. Let's, let's, let's go back. I mean, the first spate of issues were in Austria, where we had three or four um, penalties for putting people off the track to the outside. So when um, Max went off to the outside of Lewis, regardless of the fact he went off at 300 miles an hour and 33G impact, you could say, OK, fair enough. What has happened there is consistent. The only problem is, um, by the time we got to Brazil, putting someone off from the outside didn't matter anymore. Well, it uh, didn't matter in Italy either at the first, at the first year came when Max pushed, exactly. so, pushed Lewis off know, there. And then you come back to um, Saudi and it does matter. But then, you, they're, then they're trying to make difference between inside and outside and, and whether you're leading or not leading. And then you had the call in Abu Dhabi, which was absolutely seen along partisan lines. If you were a Max fan, then mm. Lewis should have been done. If you're a Lewis fan, then Max pushed him out. And... Yes, it's interesting. It's basically all these these situations outside the Austrian ones, which actually mostly Perez, are all down about the aggression of Max and Max not giving any space to anybody. And the concept that as long as you can do whatever you like to someone else, as long as you stay on the track. Well, that doesn't seem quite right to me. Um, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, a gentleman's sport. You're not supposed to shove people off the track. And I think this is, this is they, 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 if they'd actually, but they were so concerned about keeping this marvellous battle going, they stopped making decisions. And do you think, and uh, I, I, let's not spend too much on this, but do you think the unintended consequence of the stewards either being told or taking the view that, and I don't know which one it was, um, the first one is unacceptable, the second one is understandable, but still quite unacceptable, either of those that they weren't going to in, interfere in the championship, in fact, provided exactly the opposite. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's a number of... It's gone both ways. You know, there, was, there were a couple of issues in, in free practising, such like where Lewis was kind of given a, a, a fine, well, well, forget about it, which probably wouldn't have happened in other parts of the season. I, you just need consistency. But they let, they let Max get away with way too much, um, in my opinion, and then they changed the rules of what they were, and they've given themselves a massive headache. Um, but that's all about the rules of engagement, and, and theoretically, and realistic, none of that would have mattered because you know we we got to past that point with five laps to go in Abu Dhabi, and then Michael Massey had a brain fart. So, what can you do? That had nothing to do with the rest of the season, and probably had everything to do with, you know, it. it to me, what he did is complete. I cannot understand what it was coming from. I don't even see the point of it. Yeah, why would Liberty sit on his shoulder and say do it? It doesn't make any sense. So I've except not... they didn't want the, the season to finish under a yellow. Oh, you, that's one thing that breaks one rule. But why do you let some of the cars unlap themselves and not others? That's the question I have. I mean, it's, uh, it... well, you disadvantaged Carlos Sainz, who was in oh. third. You disadvantaged everybody from. Uh, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, oh, eighth man. down over, yeah. um, who were battling for positions in the championship and points make uh, sometimes millions of dollars mm-hmm. difference. Yeah, I, I accept that. It just comes down to inconsistency and lack of respect, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know where we go from this, but I think something 
something quite serious has to be done. Yeah. And I'm and I'm worried, Nick. I'm worried. People people will say that I'm not a fan of Formula One. That you know that that is not true. I consume most of Formula One voraciously. We've got a new president. The perfect time for somebody to come in and make a stand and say, last year's done. We need to make sure that never happens again. We're going to have to rewrite some rules, by the way. Uh, we're going to have to change some processes. And yet, all of we've got is an absolute... Frankly, Mama Ben Sulaiman, hang your head. I know you've only been in the job days, but you've come in and you are torn deaf to what is going on out there. And all you're doing is banking this up for more problems. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know... I don't believe that Michael Massey favoured Max Verstappen. I just think he's massively rubbish on every level, to be honest. And I think he's made mistakes in both ways. He just well, he's been bullied, isn't he? He's been bullied he's by been the bullied teams. By the teams, he's been. I think he's been. As you say, been trying to produce a result. I don't think he's in any way bent. I just think he's completely promoted beyond his abilities, and he just collapsed and had a meltdown. And it was a tremendously tremendous issue, and it's given us a result no one wanted. I think the FIA is in a terrible mess. I think um, I, I've been... Seeing... Is it unhelpful when FOM, who are the host broadcaster, picks and chooses what they hear? And one of the things we heard was was clearly one of the team managers, Christian Horner, asking for just one lap of racing Michael. Of course, it's well, absolutely right for him to ask, um, but he shouldn't be asking it. And Michael should follow the, you know, the fact is Michael didn't follow the rules. I think there is, a, there is a lot to be said about the combination of F1, Liberty and the FIA and the inability to separate the various parts of it. And at the end of the day, I think I do agree with what Toto said, that this is sport first, entertainment second, not the other way around. And we've had sort of entertainment WWE in the last couple of races. But again, please, this is just not me. I do not think Max should be champion before you all get on hold of me. It's just depressing that we've ended up with this conversation after what was a very good season with lots to talk about, both good and bad. But the FI have absolutely dropped the ball. Effectively, I would say, pretty much from when they started changing what the rules were after Austria. Uh, final thing for you, uh, team of the year? I would probably say McLaren, um, possibly Ferrari. Who finished third and fourth, not much between them. This is harder. Uh, right, how many rookies did we have? We only really had one rookie with Sonoda this year, didn't we? I wasn't Alonso a rookie again. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't buy that, you see. I don't. Sonoda <laughs> didn't take... Because you had Mick and uh, Mazapan as well. I think all the rookies had um, difficult years. I wouldn't want to say anyone was better than the other because they were driving very different machines. Uh, and... Dare I ask you for driver of the year? Yeah, it's really easy. First half of the season, Max Verstappen. Second half of the season, Lewis. Very good. I like that. And that's why he'll be back next year when we continue our midweek motorsport to follow the FIA World Championship. Have a great holiday period. And stay tuned to the radio show, Limited Network of Channels. Nick Damon is with me, John Hyman. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.